Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. After a brief hiatus, we're back with episode 218, another two and a half hours of Mr. Graham McMillan and I discussing all kinds of things, including a half hour on the nature of snow, the best comic book adaptations of movies, Looney Tunes vs. DC and Humans vs. X-Men, The Wild Storm vs. New Universal, Super Sons number one, and believe me when I say this, much, much more. Show notes are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. Leave us comments and questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com. And we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy. And thank you for listening. Jeff Lester! Graham McMillan! Hello! Hello there! Welcome back! I mean, I, I know you've been back for a while, but I haven't spoken to you since you've come back. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you so much. And welcome back, listeners, because we took a break, because you were away. So, hey, everyone, welcome back. <laughs> and welcome back to you, Graham. Welcome back to the podcast that is Wait What? Uh, well, that was very professional. I like that. <laughs> Getting the name of the podcast, and we normally don't do that. I know, right? Yeah, that that would that's kind of uh, that's where the professionalism basically ends. From here on out, it's back to the usual <laughs> stammering, uh, mumbling, um, eyeing Jeff Lester that you come to know and or tolerate. I was gonna go with I, love, and then I'm like, yeah. I, I was I'm gonna go with love. Aww. I think everyone who's listening to this knows that we all love Jeff Lester. <laughs> How was the trip? Uh, the trip was kind of, um, hmm. Well, so, uh. Think of what you say on the podcast and then we'll talk about the rest later. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> for, well, for, for now. For like, now, yeah. Okay, here's what I really want to know. Yes. How did you deal with the snow? Uh, how did I deal with the snow? This is where the majestic human reaction known as shock comes in. So, Listeners may know I've talked before about the fact that I am a uh, amazing snow phobe. I'm a coastal Californian my entire life, and so I've just never had to deal with the stuff ever. I think my parents probably secretly were the same because it's not like we were, they were ever like, "Hey, kids, let's throw you in the back of the truck and let's go up to the snow." Like that's a thing that people do here in the Bay Area. My nieces are always like, "Ooh, snow, snow," because they've you know their grandparents have a cabin out in the middle of nowhere that everyone seems like that's like, Oh, that's perfectly normal. Just driving out into <laughs> a, a frozen wasteland where anyone can bury a body and it won't even begin to decay until the, you know, things begin to melt. Woohoohoo. And, uh, so I was, you know, my experiences for whatever reason, apart from all the propaganda that is sort of t-shirt cannoned, at you uh, as Christmas. Forgive me, Graham, because I know that's a, that is your favorite I, holiday. I, I, no, I, I'm, I'm kind of taking it personally. But also, <laughs> part, part of me is also like, Jeff, like, I live in a place where not only does it snow here, but people then like, fuck this shit, let's go to the mountains where there's more snow. No, I know. I know. I know. I know. And it's part of the, maybe that's part of the reason why we're still down here. I don't know. Because I helped some friends move up to Portland Back in, oh boy, when was it? 94, I think. Um, I think it was 94. 
maybe maybe the very beginning part of 95. And So you you started it is what you're saying. I did. I did. Well, they started it. But they were kind of like, uh, Portland, good place to live. It's amazingly inexpensive. Kind of nice. You can, you know, not be renting when you're 40. Think about it. And I'm like, hmm. And I went up there and, you know, amazingly cheap bookstores and some awesome comic book stores. In fact, I was at the comic book store that's near your house. Well, I mean, now you've got a few, but yeah, I was at Excalibur like way back in 95, you know, and, and I was like, huh, yeah, this place, the city was like clean and well-maintained. They had a free bike program. Of course, Powell's was open and then the fucking snowpocalypse hit. I was fortunate enough to be out at the coast with uh, my high school girlfriend, believe it or not, we had a tender reunion <laughs> and really yeah, yeah, it's kind what of a, what a wonderfully like random detail in that story. I, know, I, like I know. That like, no one's expecting that. And then we were like, uh, she had moved. To, God bless. She would moved to Tacoma, Washington, uh, which was why we uh, how we parted in high school essentially to move. Her family moved. So reunion, great, and thank God she knew how to drive in the snow, of course, and owned a truck. So when we came back I, I from the coast. it it was it was the most insane thing we went away the snow hit we came back and she's driving and it's just desolation and all these cars that had like driven on the highway and then lost control and then slid off to the side and there was nobody anywhere and she's sort of like putting it in a low gear and we're driving it like seven miles an hour and the snow's just hitting the window, you know, with that wet, horrible hissing noise. And, um, and we drive into the city through the freeways and over the bridges. And of course it's, it's all desolate. It's all deserted. Everyone's all inside, of course, but I mean, for all intents and purposes, I mean, you know, let's just call it what it is, Graham, a city of the dead. And so I was like, yeah, I don't like this. I, I don't think I ever want to, I don't think I want to do this uh, ever again, basically, <laughs> is what I'm thinking. So, well, uh, I, I told you about the time that we came down to San Francisco and we hit the snowstorm. Yes. Yeah. And, and like what should be a 13 hour drive from Portland to San Francisco was a 13 hour drive to get not even out of Oregon. Yeah. Because of the snow. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was like, that was, you know, cars abandoned on the roads mm-hmm. and like trucks jackknifed, trucks having fallen over in the snow on mountains. Yeah. And that, that was that I like snow a lot, mm-hmm. but that was the, Oh, I'm going to die in the snow now, aren't I? Moment See, for me. and that's what I'm saying. I mean, maybe other people feel that way. Let's say about the sea. Like, you know, I, growing up on the coast, I'm like, I look at the ocean, doesn't freak me out. I think I have, keep a healthy distance away from it. I'm not Mr. Like, ooh, let's go wading into the sea at every available moment. But I'm like, yeah, okay, it's the ocean. If you go far enough out on it and it decides to kill you, you're fucked. And I'm okay with that. Maybe that's how people feel about the snow. Except people who, uh, the snow are all like, let's drag our little children out into it. Let's build like fucking terrifying snow people out of it. Let's swish around. Let's, you know, this stuff is so great. Let's tie sticks to the bottom of our feet and throw ourselves down the sides of hills just to see what will fucking happen. You know, it's just, it's, it, there's just something about 
about snow that makes people a little loosey goosey in the head. So I, I, growing up, like I said, apart from Christmas, which, you know, hey, great. Most of my experiences with snow, sadly, because of a Californian, are all reading about the Donner Party and, um, you know, seeing movies about World War One where people are losing things to frostbite. And that's pretty much, that's it. Cannibalism and frostbite. That's the okay, so, world of Okay, so snow. cut to... Last week, you're in New York. Yes. And the, the snows, you basically find out that the snow is coming. Because yes. you, you got there at like a few days before the snow, right? I did. I got in, I got in Tuesday night and Wednesday, they were like, ho, 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 we're going to have snow. And it was that kind of like, you know, New Yorkers are like, ah, we're going to have snow. It's going to be great. Uh, wait, but, it's like only you, like five you, fucking inches, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. You either emailed me or, or talked to me on Twitter and we're basically like, Oh shit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was it. I was kind of like, I was, I was sort of like, okay, you know what? I'm old. I've got my biases. There's no reason for me to freak out because clearly no one else around me is freaking out. Everyone's like jaunty and haha. And it helps that like the weather was gorgeous. Like the, the snow thing happened on Thursday, the day before Wednesday, when people are like, yeah, here we're going to get snow, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, okay, everyone is not freaking out about this. I'm not going to freak out about this. And part of it really is, I, I got to admit, I'm like, okay, we are in an enormously well-stocked metropolis. If the snow hits, it's going to be... Anywhere from it's three to fine. six hours before people turn to cannibalism. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I, the, before someone comes at me with a knife to cut off, you know, some of my delicious belly fat, I figure I've got, I've got like a quarter of a day, right? Cause it's, there's mini marts, there's everything. It's going to be a while before people are going to turn and people aren't going to turn all at once. You know what I mean? So I figure, I figure it's going to be okay. So I'm just like, all right, I'm going to white knuckle through this shit. And then, uh, with the Wednesday night, I was at dinner and, uh, I got an email, a work email that they'd sent out to the New York office saying like, we've just been warned that the snowstorm is actually going to close schools, um, highways and possibly airports. And so the office, basically it was like anyone, if you feel unsafe coming into work tomorrow, do not. And just let us know. Please be safe no matter what. Okay. And that's when the sweat starts really popping on my forehead. Because I'm like, all these people who are like, oh, snow is hilarious, right? Are all suddenly like, oh, my God, I can't cross the city to get to work. It's a fucking nightmare. It's snowpocalypse. And everyone's like, yeah, the num the inches have like doubled and tripled. And so, so, I, go so I go to bed. In this hotel room, which is, you know, my company is paid for. God bless them. They've flown me in here just so that I can die as a, you know, snow-related cannibalism slash frostbite-related incident, it turns out. And I, I go to bed. I'm on the 18th floor, right? And um, and I wake up in the middle of the night. It's like 3 or 4 in the morning. And I stumble to the window. And I part the curtains. And I look. And there's like nothing. 
It's like, maybe there's some sort of slight dusting down below. Maybe, sort of, can't really tell. And I'm like, oh, okay. It was just one of those things that got blown out of proportion. You know, it's like the storm did some sort of last minute swerve. Like, it's not, it's not going to sure, be a yeah. big deal. So I go back to bed. I wake up to the sound, like three hours later, I wake up to the sound of a, tr- a truck. It sounds like a heavy diesel truck dragging an open manhole cover down the street, which does not inspire confidence. I, I pull back the curtains and it's almost as if like you took a guy uh, to roll back to the, the ocean metaphor. It's like you took a guy who was afraid of sharks and he went to bed one night and he woke up in a, a fucking shark cage underwater in the middle of a great white feeding frenzy. Cause I pull back the curtain and it's just snow flying right at my face at like 40 miles an hour, 18, you know, stories up and down below it's snow everywhere. Everything is there's thick stacks of it, like on the window right outside, like these horrible teeth, like icicles that are forming and Oh, and of course, the worst part is I'm only five blocks away from work, so I can't be like, eh, I don't feel safe coming to work because they said like, hey, if you don't feel safe coming to work, just let us know. But I can't say like, I don't feel safe coming to work, which is true because I'm five blocks away and I'm like, okay. And they presumably know you're five blocks away. They sadly they do. They do. Okay. I kind of well, wish you could be like, I'm on the other side no, of town. No, I wish I'd lied. Okay. I wish I'd, I can't tell you. Wednesday, everybody's like, where are you staying? Like an idiot. I'm like, oh, I'm five blocks away. They're like, oh, that's convenient. I'm like, yeah, I know, right? It takes me like 10 minutes to get here. Couldn't be better. Now, of course, it's like, fuck. So, so I got dressed. Um, and I, you know, the great thing about this whole process is a, I went and I lived and I had, I didn't even get frostbite because I had gloves and a scarf and my shoes were, um, work shoes. So I didn't, I wasn't like, Oh, I'm just going to bring my vans, you know? So I had like a really good coat and all that stuff, but also part of it is being 50 years old. I had no fucking shame whatsoever. I walked out of that hotel and I was, I was marching like a cartoon soldier because I was not going to risk bending my legs in any way. It was just marching straight up and down. I looked like somebody in the world's saddest production of the Nutcracker. You know, it was just, (laughs) and, and I did not let that deter me. So I marched the five blocks looking like a total ass clown. And I got in was safely without falling on my ass. I went into the building. I did not leave for nine hours. I I didn't even (laughs) think about leaving. And I basically jumped, uh, you know, I I admit it. I, uh, maybe for the first half an hour to 90 minutes i was shaking like an uh, an electroshocked kitten but for the most part i was i was pretty solid i had it nailed down except when like suddenly fucking snow it slides off of ledges like also that's creepy i didn't realize that i think just when it was like out in like i wasn't aware of course the urban thing it builds up on the ledge and then it's like hoop and then it's gonna like so anytime shit fell, either fell off the ledge outside my window or fell from the ledge above onto my window, I, I, I may have crapped myself maybe, but 
But ultimately, the amazing thing is, is with this snowpocalypse, by four o'clock, it was, uh, the sky was clear and the sun came out and, and that was it. <laughs> it was just like, okay. It was kind of like, it was kind of like the movie franchise, The Purge, basically. I totally understand. I always thought that that whole weird movie trilogy thing was all about like some sort of commentary on crime. No, it's just, it's about snow. It's like, apparently they don't want to talk about what actually goes on with snow. So they cook up this whole thing where one night a year, suddenly the alarms go off and you're allowed to kill or eat anyone as possible. And it's entirely about snow and then it's over and you're just like, Oh, I guess I survived. And then you tromp home like a sad, pathetic, you know, a uh, cartoon character uh, and then your wife shows up. So it's, it was, uh, it was kind of, it was quite an experience. I appreciate you asking about it, Graham. I will wake up screwing. It's, it's, it sounds good. It's, yeah. It sounds good. Good job. I, thank you. I felt, I felt healthy about it. I felt, I felt, I felt like I've grown a lot as a person. Well, I, I, I'm actually going to ask shaking. this. Yeah. You're going to make fun of me, but I'm going to ask this. Do you feel like you might be moving past your snow fear? Cause I feel like you had all of it like happened to you there. But as you said, you survived. So do you feel like, not that you're eager to hang out in snow now, but do you feel that it could snow and you'd be okay? Uh, I don't, I, I don't even know how to begin to process that, Graham, really. Cause it's, <laughs> you know what why, I mean? I'm kind of like, mm. why not? Like, why can you not say, yeah, it wasn't that bad or no, it was that bad or like, I, I just, I just don't know. I mean, it's kind of like, like, let's say you're Roy Scheider and you're, you know, you've just watched Richard Dreyfus, like, well, actually, Richard Dreyfus lives, I guess, but, you know, you just watched, uh, George Bernard Shaw, like, slide into the water and get chewed up by, by an enormous shark. And, you know, your only way of managing to survive was shoving an oxygen tank in this moving freight train with teeth. Uh, and shooting it so that it explodes, literally explodes in the water, and you're there on a life jacket, and then it turns out that your buddy Richard Dreyfus actually didn't die, and he pops up beside you, and you sort of start splashing back on a piece of driftwood. It's hopefully Richard Dreyfus didn't turn to you and go like, hey, so what do you think? Less afraid of sharks in the water now? You know what I mean? Like, I'm kind of like, I just, I don't, I don't know how to process my trauma yet, Graham. That's what I'm saying. I, I like. So what you're saying is, we're like two years away from Joe's 3D. <laughs> you know, the weirdest thing about Jaws 3D is, is that his kids grow up and one of them becomes Dennis Quaid. Like there's something like if <laughs> that's, that's the weirdest thing. Well, really? I, that's I, the weirdest thing. also, I didn't know it's Dennis Quaid. Yeah. 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 Dennis oh, Quaid. Yeah. I mean, I saw that. Uh, I can't even lie and say I saw that in the theater because I didn't. Uh, uh, but I definitely saw it on television when I was a child. And yeah, I I could not tell you anyone who's in it, but that's genuinely surprising. It was Dennis Quaid. Yeah. But you do know that I saw Jaws: The Revenge in the theater, right? Oh my God, no, Graham! I you have <laughs> become my hero. Really? <laughs> I'm still kicking myself for never seeing it in the theater. Holy shit! Jaws. I mean, when did that film come out? Jaws: The Revenge. I've got to look this up now. Uh, it's, I'm going to say, like, uh, when did Aliens come out? Cause they Jaws really... Jaws Revenge in 87. Wait, Jaws 3D or Jaws the Revenge? The Revenge. Yeah, it came out in like 87. Yeah. Um, uh, so I would have been, I would have been 12 years old. Right. And me and a friend, and for the love of God, I can't remember who the friend was, were the only fucking people in the local theater. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I remember the two of us not even expecting a lot. Because mm-hmm. by this point, like, I had seen Jaws 1 through 3, right? So right. I don't know what I was expecting. Oh, my God. You but, saw the – how old were you when you saw Jaws 1? They, they were all on TV. I remember all the Jaws films being on TV a lot. Okay. So you was it one of those deals where it's like you saw them, like, let's say you turned 11 and then you watched all three in a year and then you caught Jaws no, 4 I, in the I, theater? I probably, no, I probably saw Jaws – like, I probably saw Jaws when I was, like, nine or something. Wow. And it didn't fuck up your Kool-Aid, huh? No, not at all. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't want to go and swim with sharks. But mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. It, put it this way, it was as scary as, like, a, a science fiction movie. Because right. all of my frames of reference were so alien. Mm, got it. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I, we didn't have beaches like that. Right. Like, I, I've never seen a shark. So mm-hmm. it's it's completely fictional. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, whatever. As far as I know, that shark looks entirely realistic because I don't really know what a shark looks like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You right. know? So, yeah. so that layer of separation, like, I think really did prevent me from getting fucked up by it. Right. Um, but anyway, so I, I saw, I saw just revenge in the theater oh, and shit. I remember really clearly coming out of it and whoever the friend was, and I wish I could remember who the friend was. I, I no, I was going to say, I think it's Nishi, but it, it wasn't. Um, I remember the two of us audibly talking about how disappointing the film was, and the guy selling the popcorns we walked past being like, yeah, it sucks. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be like, oh, everyone knew. That's why no one else was in the theatre. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay, now I have to look at when the last Starfighter came out, because that was around the same time. And again, I was like one of three people in the theater for that as well. I seem to recall. Last Rider was in 1984. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was about to say, that was much earlier. And I think generally Last Starfighter was somewhat well regarded. It was, it was no I, crawl. I, I, I mean, you know. Sure, but again, I saw, I saw crawl in the theater. I did too. <laughs> I gotta tell ya. <laughs> but yeah, I remember, I remember, uh, the Last Starfighter and Enemy Mind. Do you remember Enemy Mind? Right, right? you just got to talk about uh, throwing Dreamscape, and you pretty much like that guy's covered covered space. the entire genre, right? And inner space, which you know, no one's going to complain about inner space. Sadly, they probably should. I don't know. <laughs> I I'd actually love to see inner space again. It's probably on like Netflix or something. Yeah, and it probably holds up. I, it's I, a Joe Dante I movie. I just Martin Short, you know. Yeah, I remember it being like really good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think it's going to be really good in the same way that I remembered Ghostbusters being really good, and then I watched it again, and I was like, "Oh, okay, I'm going to go. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have." Watched I'm, I'm going to go on a limb and say that 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 Dreamscape is actually a Dreamscape because obviously I love Dreamscape. I'm going to say that Inner Space is better than that because one of the things that rem- Inner Space um, you're saying Inner Space is better than Ghostbusters. I think so. Well, in the sense of, I, I feel in, in the sense of yes, exactly. Before like suddenly the death threats roll in, uh, I, I feel that you know what it is is Inner Space to me is very much in the in the same mold as Back to the Future, which is to say that it is a special effects romp that has what we think of as a relatively tight script, you know, like the yeah. everyone's yeah. little character arc in inner space. I'm willing to go on a limb guesses act absolutely holds up, you know, sort of the same way with back to the future. Whereas like ghostbusters is kind of a, it's kind of a lark, you know what I mean? It's kind of that very sort ghostbusters of really, really doesn't hold together. Great. Yeah. Like, you have the charm of the the actors, mm-hmm. 
But that's but if you didn't really have the that, of if you did not yeah. have that, you would be you would be in such shit. Because if you think about it, considering some of the stuff like the there's there's parts of Ghostbusters that are completely riffing on the Exorcist movies, which were like an eternity ago by cinematic time. You know what I mean? Like there's just references and stuff in Ghostbusters that just doesn't I don't know. I mean that being said, like you said, it's it has everything to do with I think the charisma of of the actors and I think there's a weird I think I'm I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Ghostbusters uh also is an incredibly unified movie design wise you know what i mean like there's something about the new york and the classic art deco architecture and then the sort of bowery boys ghostbuster mobile like everything is building to this weird modern day anachronism thing to the point where you get the stay puff marshmallow man and it somehow mm -hmm. it just it just clicks. Somehow works. Yeah, everything. Yeah. It, it, so even though the movie is just a complete muddle, like it's so um, integrated in a design sense that it feels mostly pretty organic. I think, you know. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. That's that's me talking crazy. So, uh, yeah, Dennis Quaid, man, with Inner Space, uh, Dreamscape, um, uh, Enemy Mine, with Lou Gossett Jr., which you know, I mean. I guess you can't really fault Lou Gossett Jr. for his, his choices. What the hell was he going to do? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, Jaws 4. Yeah, I would love to see that in the movie theater. That would have been amazing. Uh, but why? Like, you must have seen it by then. You know it's terrible. Oh, I still haven't seen it. I know it's terrible. I think... Wait, you've really never seen no, Jaws? No, 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 no. It's not Jaws 4. It's Jaws the Revenge. Sorry, Jaws the yeah. Revenge. Yes, I call it Jaws 4. I've seen Jaws 1 through 3, and I saw 2 and 3 in the theater. I was too scared to see Jaws until, I don't know, maybe my mid-20s or something like that. And, um... And Jaws 4, the thing is, is I knew at that point, somewhere along the line, I had tipped, I had gotten tipped off to the fact that um, Roy Scheider's wife, Martin Brody's wife, uh, Lorraine, Lorraine Gary? No, that's not right. Uh, is Sure. I, I have no idea. He, she's, she's Sid Scheinberg's wife, which is, again, one of these brilliant things that you look at. Um, Steven Spielberg, like the guy was just a genius. He's like, I'm making this shark movie with this mechanical shark and, uh, who knows how it's going to work out. And everyone's like, this sounds like a bad idea. I don't know if we want to give you money. It's like, but I'm actually, your wife is going to have actually a really great role in it as the lead's wife. Uh, and she's got some funny lines in it. It's like, okay, yes, let's, let's throw money at this crazy sure to you know lose money uh venture that will never somehow hit and then does uh so lorraine what's her name you know after the success of aliens sid scheinberg who's still the head of universal is like huh you know this whole like older woman versus monster genre is clearly a thing. And I think is, is the time is right for Jaws the revenge where she finally gets to take revenge on the shark for destroying her family. And everyone's like, 
I don't know if that sounds like a good idea. And they're like, here's a big bag of money. We've already got Michael Caine, and it's going to be in the Bahamas with uh, Melvin Van Peebles Jr. as a helicopter pilot. And everyone's like, okay, I guess I guess we're going on this ride. Let's see what happens. <laughs> Sid Scheinberg's like, trust me. And uh, yeah, oh my God. That was that was an amazing. In fact, is that the movie that Michael Caine releases right after he wins the Oscar and Hannah and her sisters? Is this that is that about how it breaks it's, down? It, it, I, yeah, because again, twelve year old me was very fascinated in Woody Allen films. This is the, this is the really sad part. Is is like this this whole thing where it's like Hannah and her sisters is eighty six. Yeah, see, so it's one of those terrifying deals, Graham, where it's like you and I are. You know, it's really easy to pretend that we're contemporaries because you know at this age it's it's not that far apart and also you know you're faster and smarter and funnier than me but if you roll it back like when you were 12 and i was ooh, 21 that's that's a significant gap cuz yeah i had gone and seen hannah and her sisters in the theater and uh oof basically i think that just shows that you were smarter than me because you did that, and then I went to see Joe's Revenge in the theater. You were 12! Which one of us came out of that the best? Uh, you know, I'm just going to argue it wasn't me. Yeah, you know what? I have I have another argument, which is when you are 21, A, believe me, I've seen plenty of crap in the theater. I saw Silver Bullet, which is the Stephen King, Gary Busey, kid in a wheelchair, werewolf movie. I saw that in the theater. Because I'm an idiot, probably around the same fucking time, and, and I guess it was '85. And and I mean, it, uh, let's be clear: it's a Stephen King werewolf uh, movie that's based on a calendar. For fuck's sake, you know what I mean? That was I don't know if you know, but the whole like Silver Bullet was the movie that was based on the Stephen King Bernie Wrightson chapbook that was originally going to be the illustrated calendar where like Wrightson was going to do like a drawing for each of the months. And then King, of course, being Stephen King, I don't know what the people were thinking. They're like, Hey, Stephen King, why don't you write a story that's going to take up the page of like a calendar, you know? And Stephen King's like, sure, sure. I'm known for my brevity. Let me just sit down and start typing and see what happens. Anyway, so then Gary Busey, kid, wheelchair. Oh my God. Stephen King, those, you know, those were the cocaine years because he was totally talking about that was his take on To Kill a Mockingbird. Amazing. Amazing. Anyway, so I was that much of an idiot, but you know, when you're 21 and you're in college, you do dumb, you do, you do smart things. You're like, all of a sudden you're like, hmm, I will go see Hannah and her sisters in the, in the theater. And you know why? Because you're going with like a woman who is smart that you're trying to date, <laughs> you know, that had nothing to do with my like, oh, look at me. What an intellectual genius. I surely have to take in this, you know, Antonioni movie. It's it's purely ah oh, man, it's so dumb. I'm so, anyway. So. So all I'm saying this is, Graham. It's a start to a podcast. Yeah, I know. Everyone's <laughs> like, oh, shit, comic books. We're in for I, it. It's been, it's been a while since we completely digressed wildly at the start of a, uh, an episode. Really? Like, we oh, digress small amounts. Yeah. But I think a full half-hour digression where the only thing we've gotten close to the theoretical subject matter of the podcast is you mentioning Bernie Wright's... <laughs> It's true. It's, it's a level true. we haven't been at for some time. Oh yeah. Well, I I don't know. Didn't didn't Marvel do an adaptation of Jaws? Was it Jaws or Jaws Two, the comic book? I think they did an adaptation of Jaws Two, right? 
I have. I'm going to look that up right now. Like a Marvel Super right. Special I, ad- Adaptation. I yeah, think. I, I actually don't no, no, I think you're right. I think at some point I put panels of that up on the top. Oh, board. I bet you did. I bet you did. Yeah, it's, it is. Mar- uh, Jaws two, Marvel Super Special. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, because Gene Cole did the art. Oh wow! And is Tom Palmer inking him? Is that how it works out? Yes. Okay. All right. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I did put pages of this one Tumblr, and it looks amazing. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Yeah. By the way, in case anyone else listening to the podcast has, has not heard me say this before, hands down, pound for pound, if you're looking for the second best movie adaptation graphic novel after Alien by um, Goodwin and Simonson, for my money, it is absolutely 100% the, the adaptation of 1941 by Rick Feach and Stephen Bissett that is insane, is amazing. It's amazing. That movie, that, that graphic novel is, cause I hate to admit it, but 1941 is, a, is a bit of a soft spot for Terrible. me. It's, I know it's bad, but I mean, I watched it so many times as a kid cause it was like on HBO and I thought that that, that dance number sequence is, oof. but yeah, a horrible movie. Although I'm still laughing thinking of it. Anyway, I could never put myself <laughs> through that again, but the, the comic book adaptation of it is just, What's that heavy metal? Heavy metal. metal. No, no, it was. It was heavy metal. And, uh, I, I, I would bet you money that it was supposed to be like something like National Lampoon and National Lampoon was like, oh, no fucking way. But like Veach and Bissette, they, they make it like really crazy over the top mean. And also it's, um, like Spielberg's a little too at that time and still like not. I don't feel he really had the courage enough to tell a story. Like he clearly loved animal house and was like, I want to do like a big Belushi Ackroyd, like over the top Looney Tunes screwball comedy with some swear words and the suggestion of, of a blonde woman showing breasts. And, um, and, but it's not, it's not the full on really mean take on um, American propaganda that the, that the Veach beset version is it's cause it, they just double down on the grotesquerie. So it, it, in some ways it, it goes right back to like classic mad, it, mo- it moves from mad magazine to like mad, the comics, like really heavy, almost Kurtzman style influence as just a, a just a, a crazy un like hilarious in its unsubtle take on just how nasty American propaganda was back during World War II, among other things. And so I want to spin off of that because there is a famous letter from Steven Spielberg to Heavy Metal uh, (laughs) about the 1941 comic that is up on the Heavy Metal website, and I'll send you a link, Jeff, so you can put it in the show notes. Uh, But I'm going to read it now. Are you ready? Yes. Dear Julie, who is the editor of Julie Simmons, Mm -hmm. I've had a chance to further examine the 1941 Heavy Metal book, and I've found many aspects of the book disturbing. I feel I was misled by the black and white proofs sent to me prior to this publication. The presentation in living color does not represent the intentions of myself, the writers, or anyone connected with 1941. <laughs> All of us find the artwork and contents to be a savage representation of an otherwise light comedy about those times. Beyond that, it is off-putting, disgusting, and terribly racist. Heavy Metal has 
horror film as a bestial, cannibalistic, Hieronymus Bosch nightmare. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with bestiality, cannibalism, or Hieronymus Bosch, where it accurately reflects the nature of the subject matter. On the sweeter side, we take off, uh, we take our hats off to your two artists. We all seem to agree on one thing. They're ruthlessly talented, though demented. I'm recommending them to Francis Ford Coppola, whose apocalypse is more in keeping with their vision of a world gone mad. <laughs> but since at this late date, there is not much any of us can do, I'm looking forward to a special heavy metal edition on Benji's Revenge. Regards, Steven Spielberg. That's great. That's great. Yeah, he's he's got an introduction in the beginning of 1941, which which I thought you were just going to read me because it clearly sounds like he's someone who's who is like kind of like ha, 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 I don't want to be tied to this in any way. It's repellent. Woohoo! But you know he's like saying everything like wow, these crazy cats, man. So it's really great seeing that and seeing how um seeing that he was just like Jesus Christ, no. So, you know, too bad, Steven Spielberg. <laughs> now, you know, I honestly thought you were going to say Blade Runner. For some reason, Blade Runner is my, like, Nets to Alien best comic adaptation. I couldn't tell you why. Because it's nothing special. It's really it's not, like, yeah. It's like, one of their, it's like one of their Star Wars comics. Yeah, it will. Um, I, th- I yes. think I did it years before I saw the film. Mm-hmm. Because it might have been, and I might be totally misremembering, it might have been serialized in the Star Wars comic. That would make sense. That would make sense. Because it's very much, I want to say, again, it's Goodwin doing the script, but it's Al Williamson doing the art. Al Williamson did the art. Yeah, exactly. And then they go on to do the Star Wars stuff. But yeah, Williamson's, Williamson's work on that looks beautiful. It's just... You know, for me, I think that Alien and uh, 1941, because they are paced... Oh, another one that actually... I don't know if it holds up, but Steranko's adaptation of uh, of uh, Outland is... Oh, that is beautiful. And that's another one that... I, don't, I think that actually was serialized in Heavy Metal before Byron Price reprinted it or something. That one's a stunner. Um that's that's right up there. I mean, it's unfortunately it's Steranko during his like Chandler era, so it's not it's it's not what some of us would call quote unquote true comics. It's like mm-hmm. illustrations and then text, you know, a, a band of text at the bottom. But ooh, wow, it looks gorgeous. Anyway, sorry, I got I got distracted because I'm like because what I was going to say is that I feel that um, the great thing about the the heavy metal books is is that they're the closest things the pacing is different like the marvel super specials are really weirdly paced i don't know you know i don't even know why i'm actually not including how do you feel about this actual star wars adaptation like it's actually uh, i uh i think it's terrible uh-huh. but it's terrible in like a fascinating way hmm Interesting. I can't, I can't separate. I literally wasn't thinking of it. And then I'm like, ah, you know what? At six issues, it's actually paced more or less at the same speed of the movie. It's not. But I, I don't even think about the story as much as I think about the fact that like the art is shaken. At, I think it's just shaken for the first issue or maybe the first two issues. And then it's shaken at Steve Lealoa mm-hmm. and like his inking changes everything. Yeah. Like, it looks just like two different artists. Yeah, it totally does. Um, and, like, that, I remember as a kid reading it and, like, that jumping out at me so much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And just being like, what has happened? No, what? Right. Because I read it as a, 
I read it as interestingly enough the British annual, mm. which was like a hard a hardcover oversized comic. Right. Um, but it was abridged. Wow. No. Like they they'd literally taken. I mean, I would I would guess there's probably like four issues worth of comic in there, mm-hmm. but it's the full. You know, it goes from start to finish. Right. So there, there's stuff that they've just, like, taken out altogether. Right. Wow. And I would love to see that now to see what they have taken out. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'd love to see what actually ended up in there and what didn't. Well, because mm-hmm. not only was there the story, there was also, like, text pieces. Mm. So they must have taken, like, a lot of shit They out. must have taken a lot out, yeah. Well, I mean, when you go back and look at it, I don't remember for sure, but I want to say that first issue is because they were pacing it on you know, Lucas's director's cut like that. The first issue is kind of slow. It basically ends up with like Luke's being attacked by the Tuscan Raider, I think is Tuscan Raider. Yeah. Yeah. Finale of, of the cliffhanger of issue one. So that's, I mean, you could chop a chunk of that out in order, just in order to keep pace with the, um, with the movie. You know what I mean? Well, isn't it, um, like, does it not include all the, the, like, Here's Luke and his friends who are going off to war and yeah. he wishes that he could join them. Exactly. Like, is that not all in there? No, that's what I'm saying. Exactly. It's all in there. His, his, um, his parting with Biggs, cause Biggs is going off to the, uh, to join the rebellion and he's not, you know, which in theory is, provides a nice arc when you, when he gets to see Biggs again at the end, but it somehow works perfectly without it. Biggs in there, then in, I think, I don't know if it, it must be issue two, you've got the shit with Han, Han Solo, uh, basically. And Jabba. Jabba. Yeah, exactly. Jabba yeah. is just like, you know, a fat guy. Uh, you know, just stuff like that. There's, it, it's just not really cut and cleaned up, so. <sighs> I'm, it's funny, I'm now looking at the covers of the original like U.S. release. Oh yeah, that's great. And the cover for issue four is stunning, um, because it's Darth Vader's mm-hmm. like in the background, giant head, giant hands. Uh, it is Luke Skywalker it, as in the hero pose, shooting at him with a gun, <laughs> saying, "Here I stand, though I may die." While Ben Kenobi is about to hit him with a lightsaber, saying, "No, Luke," wearing a green. Not even a cloak, like a green sack. But what's the best is that Princess Leia is there wearing her white gown and bright red shoes. Oh my god, really? Oh wait, hold on, I gotta see this. Oh yeah, I remember this cover. Yeah, it was, it was kinda like they wanted to do their take on the movie. Like someone described the iconic Hildebrandt Brothers Star Wars movie poster to the cover artist who had never seen it and both of them were drunk. It was Keith Pollard, apparently. Keith, Keith Pollard. Pollard uh, bless yeah, your yeah. part, Keith Pollard. I don't know what you were thinking, but yeah. Oh, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's beautiful. You're right. She's, looking, it looks like she's I, wearing little socks. Yeah. Right? Oh, man. I'm looking on, on um, marvel.wikia.com mm. and it has the greatest thing where it says, featured characters, Luke Skywalker, and Solo, the Jedi, and then underneath it goes Obi Wan Kenobi. Open brackets, death. Close brackets. Open brackets. Ghostly voice. Also, <laughs> ghostly voice. Also, is the name of a new Star Wars podcast. Oh, that would be great. You're right. That would be excellent. <laughs> oh man. Uh, so, um, hmm. you know, Graham. Although I, although this is probably a entirely satisfying um, 
a digression hole for us and maybe 10 other people. I was wondering, at first I was like, oh yeah, maybe we should talk about that Last Jedi thing, which was sort of clever. I don't know if you want to talk about news. I feel like, of course, we've been gone for weeks and weeks, and we could talk about some of this Comic Pro stuff, announcements, I guess. Okay, yeah, why, why, why would you bring up some Comics Pro announcements that we can talk about? Let me see, the Comic Pro announcements. Uh, I mean, there was Karen Berger has a new imprint. Yes, Berger uh, Books at Dark Horse. Like, I thought that was kind of fucking great news, very smart for Dark Horse. Uh, I'm super interested to see what it means. Well, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, is, is it going to be, I guess, is it going to be regular stuff? Or is it going to be, you know, she does a couple of books a year. Uh, I'm really curious what it means for Search and X at Image. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'm curious about that as well. Although I think, you know. I think Search and X might just be done because of John Watkiss. Uh, done as in finished? Yeah. Well, they've lost one of the two creators. Oh, shit. I was not paying any attention to that. Oh, right. Um, I hadn't paid any attention. Did they say they're not publishing anymore? Did they not make any sort of I, I, announcement well, about it? As far it? as I know, they made it to the end of the first storyline. Uh-huh. Wow. Uh, and John Watkins is obviously dead. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I don't know. Like, I, I haven't seen anything. I've not been paying a lot of attention either, but I haven't seen anyone say anything like, and we'll be continuing with so-and-so as the artist. Mm-hmm. So also, I have no idea what the sales are for Surgeon X. You know, I feel, I want to say it, it sort of seemed like it launched sort of semi big. And then I don't know. I mean, ugh, you know, I don't know. I, I actually paid attention today to the sales for Marvel and DC mm-hmm. for the first time in ages today this morning oh really and I was like, oh shit yeah <laughs> what, what's going on i mean well, apparently a mid-level book of marvels these days uh is going to be in the 20,000s uh, and a mid-level book of dc is going to be 30,000 but that's still because they're coming off of rebirth and it's going to be in 20,000 slash teens uh, before too long as well really so so yeah. rebirth is not they're not holding on to their numbers or or is it that the the top top tier ones are holding on it's but a, the yeah, mid list stuff the is tier, slipping yeah uh-huh. yeah that's basically what it is yeah. like if you look at like superman or batman or even aquaman like they're significantly higher than they were mm-hmm. but they're also like dropping seven percent a month Ooh. Ooh, seven percent is not. That's not. That's not what we think of as standard attrition. Um, yeah, or healthy. <laughs> no, no. Well, particularly if it if it hasn't bottomed out. I mean, if it's if if it, if they sort of manage to like stop in their thirties, then <clears throat> I feel like they're sort of okay, maybe. But but as as you know, uh, I think it wasn't it at Comics Pro where. DC officially announced the whole like yeah we're bringing mo- a lot of our titles back up to three ninety nine but we're throwing in the digital code package. Oh no, that was that was that was way before. That was way before it. Okay, it's way before. Sure was. Uh, so yeah, but also, did you see the flip side of that which is but our digital comics are staying two ninety nine? Yes, which is probably why I associated with Comics Pro because retailers were like. Uh, what the fuck are you talking about? That is not great. Something else that was really interesting, and I don't know if this is like made it super public or not, mm-hmm. but um, did you see all the people on the internet going, based on Bleeding Cool, saying, oh, look, so many of DC's Rebirth books were returned. It's a big failure. Uh, no. Leading to hilariously Nick Spencer going on a tweet storm about it, which was staggering. Really? Um, 
yeah, he was like, it's failed! Ha ha! And it was like, what? Like, I can't believe, I can't believe you're doing this. Like, I can't believe that you are, I mean, I guess you're just really pissed at people in general. Uh, but he, he, yeah, he went all in. But what was really interesting is DC at Comics Pro were like, yeah, you know that it was less than 10% of the, of everything that was returned, right? Yeah. Wow. Like it was, it was, cause you know how Diamond takes 10% off anything that's returnable? That's right. Yeah. They got less than 10% returned. Wow. So all the Diamond numbers are low. Right. Right. Which is, which is great. I mean, that's. Just great. Yeah. I mean. But then it looked like in subsequent months they've not held on to. Yeah. Oh, they've not held on to like that big of a lead. Mm-hmm. They're still ahead of where they were. But then you compare it with Marvel and Marvel is like hemorrhaging. Yeah. It's staggering how bad Marvel is. Yeah, yeah. Because for me, a Marvel middle list title is fifty thousand. Really? No. And when? That, really? That's just it. Like I'm thinking, like you know, ten years. I serious. Okay, thank you. Yeah, because I'm just like. Mm, nah. No, but that's just it. Like I like I and I'm like you know well maybe forty, but then you see like their their best selling titles are doing thirties. Oh no! Really? Their best selling titles. Yeah, they're basically doing like you know they've got their hit hit books, mm-hmm. but then everything that's like issue four mm-hmm. that isn't like Star Wars mm-hmm. is down at like thirty thousand. Ooh, why really? Ooh. It's amazing. Wow, and there's stuff that's in the teens, right? Which is just like Marvel used to cancel stuff that went below twenty. Yes, exactly. That that used to be kind of like like up until really recently. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, you'd get those rare exceptions, I think. Like, you know, when Captain Marvel or whatever would dip below 20,000 and was hovering around like 16 or 18 and everyone's like, well, we're going to relaunch it. So, you know, we're holding on until then or something. But, uh, wow. Uh, that's horrible news. It's, it's amazing. It's like, I can't believe Marvel is in this shape. And then that leads to the, the, uh, Quasi announced a Comics Pro thing, Make Mine Marvel. Oh, which mm-hmm. did you hear about? Mm-mm. I heard about Generations, so but that was going to be the next thing. I basically, Marvel said we are doing this thing, mm-hmm. like it, this thing at the end of the year is going to be called Make Mine Marvel, mm-hmm. but they're not saying what it is. But the rumor is, of course, it's, it's Marvel's rebirth. Mm. It's resetting everything back to quote unquote classic. Yeah. So like Steve Rogers as Captain America. Mm-hmm. You know, Thor being a dude, Tony Stark as Iron Man. You know, there was only one Spider-Man and it's Peter Parker. As opposed to like, there's two Spider-Man and one of them are Peter Parker. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, I'd be curious to see. I think it's, I think it's too late. I, I, I think, I think, well, we'll see. You know, I think that they should be doing that. Now, I guess they should have they should have done it after Secret Wars. The fact that they didn't, I they, think they, they, sh- they yeah, screwed themselves. They should have done it after Secret Wars. That was they somehow have managed to because uh, that's going to happen. What two years after Secret Wars? I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it it feels really weird. It feels like that was their chance to go all out and be like, "Hey, everyone!" Right. And they squandered it. Yeah, yeah. They really, they really. It's fascinating to me that they made the decision not to. I just cannot understand. I can't understand because it was such a perfect gimme. Every single little bit of it was in place to to get a get a reboot out of the out of Secret Wars. That yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Oof. 
Huh? Well, it's, it's it's amazing because you look back at how Secret Wars was promoted and they were like, yes. it's the end of the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. So, like, the obvious next step is we're rebooting. Yeah, exactly. And the fact that and, they... And instead just being like, we're not, we're just continuing. Mm-hmm. Like, you've undercut your earlier sales pitch and you've made your new sales pitch underwhelming. Oh, yeah. No, and I think, I mean... They were running into troubles. They'd been, they really were. The, the strip mining of the, of the volume rebooting was, was clearly going to tap out on them sooner or later. They, they'd already stripped everything down, but it just really is just, it, I, I'll be curious to see because I just don't think, I don't know, I don't, I honestly don't think that Marvel's got any goodwill, much goodwill left. And so, so the rumor that. is yeah. that this is like their their Hail Mary pass mm-hmm. and they're getting like big names back by basically either throwing money at them or saying like it's a really short term gig. Mm-hmm. Like come back and be, you know, come back and do the six issues, come back and do the 12 issues and then you're done. Right. Or throwing a shit ton of money at them, it, which really more than more than Rebirth reminds me of DC's one year later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When DC, DC was like, look, we've got... I can't even remember who's doing one year later. Uh, Jeff Johns doing Superman. Kurt Busiek doing Superman as well. Mm, Grant right. Morrison's doing Batman. You know, and it was like, oh, big names. Right. And I think with Rebirth, if anything, they did the opposite. Mm-hmm. They're like, you know, Steve Orlando's not a big name now, but you'll love him. Right. Right. Well, because I think, I think they... They f- and I think that's the smarter move, honestly. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's the problem. I, because Marvel is too, everyone's used to, to, to the bait and switch with Marvel. They're way too used to the bait and switch. So one of the things that sounded like it was going to work with Rebirth was that idea of you're going to, you know, with the exception of Jim Lee on Suicide Squad, the teams that you see, you're actually going to see them on there for a year. Or more, you know? Which, I mean, ironically, not really in terms of art. Like, yeah. the art teams on, on Rebirth have been... Right. On some books, completely consistent. On other books, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Tony Daniel, as artist on uh, Justice League, I think lasted five issues. Right. Jim Lee literally lasted six issues on Suicide Squad and then was off the book. Philip Tan did one issue. <laughs> yeah. One. Yeah. One issue. Yeah. Yeah, no, I know, I know. And that's sort of, hi, yeah, yeah. No, admittedly, the teams are not, but there, but there was still sort of the, I don't know, I think because DC was like, well, we're going to be double shipping and, and so we can't have teams on consistently. So we're going to be doing arcs and things, you know? Yeah, I think they did the thing. They're like, it's really all about the characters and the writers. Right, right. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I guess that's true. I guess, I guess the writers is true, but, but I also think that it was very much like, no, we're doing the characters and we're doing kind of the, right. the, the tone, you know, like you're not going to have to worry about like, we're going to do six issues or, or a year and then suddenly it's going to be like, we're going to change it up into something different. Like we really have plans for where the characters are. We're going to actually ask the writers to make sure that they've got those plans. And we're going to work well, them the out. Other, the other thing that DC did right with Rebirth that I just don't think Marvel can do mm-hmm. is they apologized. Oh, yeah. And I think that's a they huge basically one. went, yeah. yeah, we've not been doing it right. No. Yeah. And these are the characters that you want to read. Yep. 
Yeah, no, I mean that's that's the thing. They the the ridiculous that ridiculous Jeff Johns rebirth issue, which is just it's like an incontinuity mea culpa is kind of Yeah. I mean that's that's a stunner. They went, they did the tour to the retailers, and then they actually crafted something that, that was like an an in story meta apology that's like, okay, it's it's kind of like that it's it's harder to feel like you're unacknowledged, I suppose, you know, it's, yeah. but yeah. yeah, no, Marvel's just going to be like, Hey, 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 yeah, make my Marvel. We're totally, we're doing it all. It's going to be a new start, a new day, brand new day, brand new day for all these characters. Um, and dance lot's still doing amazing Spider-Man. So, you know, <laughs> you know, it's, I was actually thinking about that earlier on today. Mm-hmm. Like, is there a nice way to say dance lot should leave Spider-Man? And I don't even say that in the sense of like he sucks, he's a terrible writer because he doesn't and he's not. Mm-hmm. But there actually does come a point where you're like, yeah, but I think you've run out of Spider-Man stories. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm fascinated by the extent to which I is. So this shows you how out of touch I am. Is it the clone conspiracy thing still going on? Because, like, I think it, it is. It's just, just finally just wrapping up. It. Yeah. yeah it, no, but it, it was going on for months, and I feel like nobody yeah, was talking, talking about it at all. No. At all. No. But, but interestingly enough, you look at the sales figures, and Spider-Man is still, like, the one ongoing hit Marvel has. Yeah. And it is significantly outselling any other book, at, which is at, like, issue 20 or whatever. Yeah. Like, so far above. Mm-hmm. So right. So at that point, so so people aren't talking about it, but people are clearly still buying. Yeah, it. people are still buying it, or maybe they're not talking about it online, or I'm certainly not paying attention. But yeah, it's kind of. And at that point, if that's the case, if the person doesn't want to go, then you know, sort of, why would you get rid of them? Even though, again, I feel this is oddly enough, it's really atypical of. I think complaints that people have about Marvel, other than the fact that you just, you can't keep rebooting the character. You can't reboot a series. At least there was the flimsiest excuses of, Oh, we're rebooting the series and we're changing the creative team and direction. And like, that's letting yeah, you know yeah. that this is going in a different direction. And Marvel abandoned even the artifice of that a few years back. And which I think is part of the reason why everyone's just like, Hmm. You know, well, it, it's true because it's not just. Well, it's it's the weirdest thing because on the one hand you have people complain that there's no such thing as a long run in a character anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, but on the other hand, you see people and myself included complain like Dan Slott has been doing Spider Man for too long. Yeah, like Dan Slott has run out of Spider Man stories, mm-hmm. or you see things like Marvel has now relaunched Thor under Jason Aaron like twice. Right. Right, and it's and it's just weird because Aaron's still clearly doing the same story that he was doing when he started. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not as if he has actually changed direction. Mm-hmm. But seeing things like Secret Wars happen, mm-hmm. you then get, you know, well, we've got to have a new number one because the universe just ended. Really, of course. So we've got to come back with a new number one. Or even Squirrel Girl. Squirrel Girl got eight issues and then relaunched. Yes. With the new number one. It's like, 
that's the dumbest idea. It was dumb. It, they actually lost readers. It took them a while to regain their readership. Because what I heard anecdotally uh, at Comics Experience and at other places were people who were reading Squirrel Girl were relatively weren't your regular comic book readers. And when they were told like the end, they were like, "Oh, okay, I guess goodbye." You yeah, know? and not only that, like they'll be like Squirrel Girl one. I bought that, right? Especially when the last Squirrel Girl one was within the same calendar year. Well, exactly. I, I, although I do love the fact that they didn't, didn't they call that out on their cover? It was great. It was like only our second number one this year or something. Yeah. This but, it, but it's, it's still like, but that's still, no, it's, you know, wacky ass bullshit. Yeah. It's you know still I mean? triage. Like Spider Gwen, mm-hmm. Spider Gwen is still the same. Oh, you know, yeah. all these mm-hmm. books where they're theoretically selling to a different audience. Yeah. To then go, well, we're relaunching the entire line, so we're going to relaunch this. No, just let the fucking book continue. Well, because it is. It's one of those situations of, like, if it's the same creative team, the people who weren't buying it aren't going to buy it. And if it's if it stops and restarts, like, all, all you can really do is risk losing your established base at that point, you know? Like, for whatever reason, either they're like, ah, this, this, you know, the three month break it's, made me realize I don't want to pick this up again. You know, I've got to be honest. I, I haven't gone back to Ms. Marvel. Mm. I've read it on Unlimited, but like the Secret Wars thing, I was like, yeah, I'm done with this book. Right. It's, it's cute and I enjoy it, but mm. there, I feel no impetus to keep reading and keep paying for it right. when I can just wait six months and read it on Marvel Unlimited. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and it does, like, you break the momentum, and then, then the problem is you've broken the momentum. Well, and this is one of those things that's truly fascinating, is is that everything that Marvel seems to be doing in so many ways is like this weird applying of the digital air brakes, you know? Like, there is that thing of, like, oh, if I'm not interested enough, like, Marvel Unlimited is a really good deal if you can just bring yourself to wait six months. But honestly, once you do that, like it just begins, you, you sort of get that whole, like, well, I get to read everything and it, it makes you kind of, it becomes this weird disincentive to go back into the shops, which Marvel, I I'm sure was thinking was kind of this idea of like, we want to create our own devoted digital audience. I think they were thinking like we can snag people who, you know, want to be a little more ethical and not just be reading torrented books, you know, if they're willing to wait. I mean, who knows? There's all this sort of stuff that, that whatever they were doing, I think they realized at a certain point, as we know from that change of all of a sudden they're like, yeah, we love our retailers. We've always loved the retailers. That's why, we're not putting the the actual digital download issue in the print copy. And Jeff is actually going to learn there's more people in the world who like him, who actually are like him, who don't really want to, you know, own a physical copy of the comic anymore, despite what everyone else was telling it's, him. I, I'm, I'm fascinated to see what that does. Uh, I, I'm, yeah, I just... We've, we've said this before. Marvel's decisions are increasingly wacky. Yeah. The books they are giving away. So, you know, they do like, they're now, you will get download codes for three comics, but we chose with, choose what three comics is and they're the same comics across the line. Yes. For this upcoming week, two of them are Deadpool comics. Wow. Which just seems so absolutely insane to me. Mm-hmm. Because Deadpool is such a niche taste mm-hmm. that I can't believe the people who want to read those comics haven't already read the comics. And also, Think of people who are picking up 
you know, almost any non-Deadpool comic. Right. They will not want to read those free comics. Right. Well, I to me, it's just more the idea of, and this is another common thing, I, you know, I think that Deadpool seems like a niche comic, but I think that Marvel's thinking is, is like he's was the movie was super successful, the character is super successful. Like, hey, if we're telling people, which of course Marvel is doing dick about advertising, it's like outside the world of comic book resources and all their free stuff. You know, they're not, they're like, hey, I'm sure people would be really interested in dead, free Deadpool comics. Like, just buy one, go into a comic book store and buy one comic and you get three free Deadpool comics and people are like, I'm into Deadpool and I have an iPad. The problem is, is like, okay, and if you buy a second Marvel comic, you get all those same comics all over again. You know, like, there's no, it's weirdly, it's, it's amazing how they managed to hit the sweet spot of, seeming making it sound like they're being far too generous and in fact they're being far too stingy like really that that takes work i think you know yeah to yeah. to to make make something seem so sour so quickly it just i i can't believe that anyone came up with that and was like oh this is this is going to be a great idea but i'm also fascinated again by the retailers who were turning around and are like uh if you're upping my prices uh you know the dc books and you're keeping your your comic prices at at 2.99 i'm i'm basically going to switch to subs only i'm going to do everything that i can to to undersell you because you're clearly trying to undersell me so yeah you know yeah uh, it's uh, okay. Let's go back to Comics Pro. I'm trying to think what else was actually announced. Comics Pro. Oh right, Comics Pro. Uh, Looney Tunes DC, the the Looney Tunes versus DC Comics, which uh, I thought was actually a pretty funny idea. Um, yeah, and also the covers are funny as shit. The, co- like, the Martian Manhunter versus Marvin the Martian. Yes, yeah, the Marvin Martian Martian Manhunter is, I mean, almost a perfect cover. I think my problem is is that. Is that I just don't like the, Mar- the Martian Manhunter's redesign. If it's sort of classic yeah, Martian it's, Manhunter, it's, it's true. What yeah. the hell did they do, Graham? Like, why did they think what? that that was a good idea? Uh, I don't know. Um, also, it seems like part of me is like, I wonder if they're going to ignore Rob Williams' Martian Manhunter series because I I think you kind of have to, especially if you're doing a Looney Tunes comic. Yes. Like, did you, did you end up reading that? Did you end up reading all the way to the end? Uh, of the Martian Manhunter? No, I got, I think I got like two or three issues in, I think. I think because you said so many good things about it, I think I bought maybe three issues and read two and was just like, it, eh, wasn't yeah. really, it just wasn't working for me, you know? So. It's, um, so it, it ends up, mm-hmm. spoilers, no spoilers, that, um, that he, he is he basically like everything everything he knows was wrong right and he was created as as a weapon by the martian race to uh destroy humanity and replace them with mars mm. and it basically ends up with him restoring the status quo so because of course and being like yeah but i'm i'm terrible and i shouldn't be around anyone and flying off into space forever yeah it's bad it's bad like i martian manhunter is one of those guys where it's like you just Again, sort of like Wonder Woman, it's like you have to stop you have to stop doing the everything you know is wrong aspect to their origin, you know they don't have any consistency anymore you know I mean maybe it's just me, but doesn't that seem like something that's been done like six times with 
with John, like of some. Yeah, I, I, noticed, or other. I, noticed, I like this comic. I, totally I know you see what you're saying. Yeah, but but what I was going to say is like it also kind of breaks character. Mm-hmm. Like I I really did like the, the comic, but it's not my Martian Manhunter hashtag. Right, and it also like it does break the character. The character can't really come back and be the the like you can't have Martian Manhunter rebirth without retconning that story. Right. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and that's, yeah. that's actually often a problem with the everything you know is wrong stories. Right. In general. Yeah. Like they break the character. Yeah. And, and more often than not, don't replace them with anything that works long term. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, even the, the classic, you know, inspiring everything you know is wrong, you know, Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, like, Kind of broke the character. You really didn't. It, what happened was he played that string out for five years, and then you had like Rick Veach continue with some of the ideas that he didn't get around to for another two or three. And then after that, people were like, uh, uh, maybe well, the other thing is about his what, kid. You know, kind of what were replaced the original concept with is. Is at least as strong as the original concept. Well, that's true. It was more that the way he played out the string, there just wasn't a lot of places left to go yeah. with the character, really. But, but like when you have a, mm-hmm. you know, even when you look at the new Fifty Two Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. everything you know is wrong. She's actually the daughter of Zeus who raped Hippolyta. Mm-hmm. That's a terrible idea. Yeah, like that. That you know, you arguably can get one story out of that, which is her coming to terms with that. But you've you've taken away a better idea and replaced it with a worse idea. Right. Right. You know, and everything you know about Martian Manhunter, he was a weapon created to uh, on behalf of Mars to destroy hum- the human race. Is again, it's a one-story idea. Right. Well, I it's it also just does that weird um uh it it it, it it's this weird updating, you know, again, it's just that strange, like people deciding like, oh, the character sort of like the character just can't be inherently good. It now has to be sort of a, oh, the character was built to be evil, but now they've chosen good or something, you know, like born out of the twisted roots of, I mean, that's on the one hand, that's sort of Marvel Comics 101, at least in the 70s. And I, I dig it in some ways, but but I'm also kind of it. It is tiring, and it is one of those things where, admittedly, I I wasn't. I'm not sure that Martian Manhunter can ever support his own series for whatever reason. There are just characters that don't necessarily do that, but are fabulous supporting characters. You know, yeah, and I th- I think that's very much Martian Manhunter. I think I, so I've read a lot of solo Martian Manhunter comics. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I read. Arguably, maybe all of them, with the exception of the original Detective Comics run. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, and almost all of them is like, well, here's what his mythology is now. Right. right. And it all just sort of reinforces the, he works better playing off other characters. Yeah, or, yeah, just as, right, he's a he's a tonic note, he's not a dominant it, note. It's, it's, um, it's like, I was thinking this today, The Phantom Stranger. Mm-hmm. Don't give the Phantom Stranger his own fucking comic. Mm-hmm. Like, as soon as you're like, I'm going to explain everything about the Phantom Stranger, you're missing the point. Right. Well, you kind of you kind of got that with, like, the 
the Marvel books where it's like they kept being like, ah, Submariner, let's throw Submariner in a series, Submariner. And it's just like uh. – <laughs> you, you just reminded me that the saga of the Submariner showed up on Marvel oh, Unlimited. Yeah, I know it did and I was like – Oh my god, it's terrible. What was – what were you thinking putting this sucker on there? That's like that – particularly the saga of the Submariner because it really is that – Roy Thomas doing his weird, like, historian boredom comics. Like, really? And it's 12 issues long. I know. Well, because he's got so much shit to summarize. And that's at least the one issue I remember because I had, like, issue four or something like that. And remember reading it. And again, it's just that weird telling show. Like, it's the, it's, ah, you know, that idea of, like, oh, here's a character who's got 50 years of history and here's a guy who is guaranteed to make sure that none of it seems interesting in the format that he's going to tell it in. You know, it's just, I think I can see why for a long time, I, I, I'll even go one step farther before the internet. One could argue that you needed those series, you know what I mean? But thanks to the miracle of marvel.wikia.net or any Wikipedia entry or things like that, you just kind of have to, you kind of just have to have a good context for the character in the issues that they're in, you know? And, and then you don't, in theory, the rest of it, which is, which is one of those weird things. It does make me wonder if maybe comics have morphed from that kind of strange, exciting Gnostic text feeling of picking up a comic and, Barely being able to sort of under you understand you grasped it, but what was exciting, not off-putting, was how much of it you didn't understand. But the idea was you could if you just if you just collected fiercely enough, you know. Yeah, it, it's. But part of this is also like I wonder how much of this is our age, you know? Because w- when you first discover that, you are a kid, mm-hmm. and the idea of like. Um, not necessarily forbidden knowledge, but like knowledge you don't get, but you can get. Right, right. That's is is yeah. really exciting. Right, right. Because you know, it almost feels like that's such a huge thing of what separates you from the adults. And and most kids are like, yeah, I don't really want to be a kid. I want to be. I want to have. I want to have the power of a grown up. And so much of that appears related to knowledge. You know, but not, but I don't want to do any of the really boring stuff like math or physics, you know, unless that's your thing. Don't get me wrong. Um, you know, I would <laughs> much rather so, so do There's it. like STEM. Well, because there are. There's STEM comic fans and that's awesome. But, but there's just that thing of like, yeah, I, I don't know. Like you said, I, it, you do wonder if maybe things are different because because knowledge is different that way, because things are presented that way. I don't know. I mean, I say all this stuff, but then when you look at things that are very sticky, that have big followings on, on the internet, like some of those things are completely deeper obtuse or people love how much event, you know, how wide and deep the adventure time, you know, mythos goes, you know? So it's kind of, they're just like, no, no, uh, who gives a crap about but, Spider-Man? But, no, but again, like, I think it's different. I think something like Adventure Time Mythos are, is more like, um, like Lost, mm-hmm. you know, where it's, there's deeper story, but it's not story that previously exists that you're jumping into. 
because definitely for me when I was getting into comics, what was exciting was these things these characters have been around for like years before I was born. Right. And they will reference those stories and theoretically I can read those stories. Yes, no, exactly. Yeah, yeah, no. You know? Right. Well uh, which which is why yeah. things like um like reprint titles, like I remember picking up Marvel Tales, which reprinted like the Lee Ditko Spider Man. Yes. You know? Yeah. And it, it and that was that was exciting because it was a sense of like I'm I'm claiming some of this history. Mm-hmm. hmm Yeah, I think I think that's actually oh. a really good and way to describe these it. Days this, these days this is all like very different because like you said, you can go to like Wikipedia or you can go to Marvel Unlimited and everything's there. Right, well so much of uh, it's there, yeah. Well and also there's kind of that weird thing of um comics have really changed in quality too which i think is also so important you know i i feel like it's interesting to me the number of people or even myself revisiting some of these comics and being like oh wow that was not good that did not hold up you know or or seeing something like seeing something like again the talking the in our previous installment about son of satan and just being like wow this character is you know kind of was uh, an, an also ran who really became a never was like when you read the stories or when you look at Chris Claremont's like Miss Marvel stuff, you're like that thing never got off the ground or something for me that, that did like um, the Claremont burn iron fist reading it and realizing how little there is actually there, you know? And, mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. weird part is I feel like w- you can have so many comics now where you really do have the oh they're really going to go there they're really going to explore this or this is really going to happen the weird part is i feel like that almost doesn't happen with most of the mainstream comic book superhero characters now you know what i mean like if you kind of if you want that you can find it in you know vertigo novel vertigo series where there's an actual sense of closure it may not be good you know but you get or image books, or, you know, indie comics. There's just a lot of places where you can get that feeling. But, you know, then you go back, and I think that's the other problem. Once you've sort of lapped the characters, and I know this is really old ground for us, but once you've sort of lapped the characters, like, I'm like, I don't don't really know how I can relate to Spider-Man anymore, you know? Because it's that weird feeling of, I've... I've literally outgrown him. Like if he, if I were to pop up in the comic book now, I'm Spider-Man's, I'm old enough to be Peter Parker's dad. And there's part of me that's sort of okay with that. But there's also part of me of like, what am I, what, what could I get out of this? And it's fine. It should be fine if it moves on to another generation. I just, I'm worried that the generation that it's moving on to is, you know, 18,000 millennials and, you know, 10,000 neckbeards for a grand total of 28,000 sales. You know, it's like, I don't know. First of all, you got that hideously wrong. <laughs> it's 20,000 neckbeards <laughs> and it's 8,000 millennials. <laughs> and the 20,000 neckbeards are like, look, Peter Parker's got to stay like 21 <laughs> and single. I got married and had kids and that was a terrible mistake. <laughs> I think that was just that. I think Joe Casado was the only neckbeard who was really making that argument, wasn't he? That was... well, it's it's I I 
have been thinking about this in terms of Superman the other day. Mm-hmm. In large part because I read Super Sons. Oh, we Super can Sons. talk about that. Oh my god, everybody, mark the time. We've been talking for an hour and 18 minutes. I think we're going to talk about an actual comic that came out, like, <laughs> this week. You know, oh, you know what we should talk about, really? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Wild Storm, which I know you've read. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I've got comics to talk about, man, but we should talk uh, about that, yeah. Okay, so but let's no, but start like, with Super but, Sons. But, mm-hmm. Well, but... On route, where I was going, is they DH Superman. They unmarried Superman. Mm-hmm. And he's around for five years. And then everyone's clearly like, no, but Superman is your dad. <laughs> yeah. And they really leaned into it. Like, mm-hmm. they're like, okay, he's coming back with Rebirth. But it's not just him. And he's not just married to Lois. There's actually a kid. And it's not just a baby. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's a 10-year-old kid. Mm-hmm. Like, they really leaned into it. They went from one extreme to the other. Yeah. Because I think at some point they were like, oh, that's right. No one really does want to see, like, 25-year-old Superman. Yeah. Everyone does want to see Superdad. Mm-hmm. That's Superman that everyone wants to read. Right. So let's make, like, even subtext text by making him Superdad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I, and, and how do I put it? Like, that seems... It doesn't seem like a terrible idea. I keep n- being be working. Yeah, I'm I'm resistant to the Superman books for whatever reason, but uh, but at some point I think I'll sneak. You know what it, it is? I, I think we've actually I think we've actually looked into this. Scientists and me, and you just don't like one. I think that's what it is. <laughs> so why did you think Super Sons? Uh, well, apparently I don't like fun because uh, <laughs> I I. It's- Light, isn't it? It's 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 really really slight and like I liked it, but part of me was like I liked this a lot more because I got mailed it. Mm-hmm. Like if I, never mind if I had paid money for this issue, which if I, I did. made any efforts to read this issue, yeah, I think I might feel less charitable. Right. Charitable sports. Yeah, I um, I don't know. You know, I just I, I think part of my problem is is that. Uh, well, actually, part of it was I sort of thought that I was going to get a um, – uh, why did I think that it was going to be Tomasi and Gleason on this? Did they do a different book? Are they doing a different um, – They're doing Superman. Oh, okay. I thought it was huh, – okay. Interesting. Okay. So um, I thought that was uh, Tomasi and Zercher or something, or is that a different – different? Zer- Zercher's doing uh, action with – Oh, Jurgens? I see. Uh, Gleason is co-writing all the issues of Superman oh, and I see. drawing arcs. Got are really issues. Okay. So that's the way it's been split up. Uh-huh. Um, so, so I don't know. Pete Tomasi's stuff feels really disposable. Like it just, it just felt, it felt way too. I think it felt way too light. I, for me, I mean, it was, like you said, it just, it's, it's just a really light comic. And part of me is kind of like, oh, that's fine if it's fun. In fact, most of the comics that I'm reading these days are on the light and fun side, at least the stuff that I'm buying every month, you know? And I could see where it's like, this is supposed to feel like a very light story, which is great. It just, I don't know how to describe it. Like it didn't really feel like 
it felt like a book that was written by someone who didn't have kids and therefore is like, oh, but everyone remembers what it's like to remember when you're back on the school ground and the bullies are bullying you and then suddenly your mom pages you on your beeper. Am I right? You know, like it just didn't feel it just didn't feel it. It just didn't feel in any way contemporary um, and classic. It just kind of felt like, well, I, I, I don't need it to be classic, but I need it to be like there's parts about it that I found really cute, but mm-hmm. there's also parts about it that just felt like shtick. Yeah, there's a lot like, of shtick there. Robin is like Damien is disguised as the school bus driver. Right. Why? Right. Like, what is actually going on here? And like the the last page, like my favorite part of the issue, and this is sounds like a cheap joke, and it's not meant to be, mm-hmm. was the end because the idea of like oh they're trying to break into like Legs Corp and like Slither catches them. Mm-hmm. Like, that could have been the start of the comic. Uh, right. And it probably should have been. I mean, I think that's the other thing that just kind of, like, I really liked, like you said, it's cute. And it's drawn very cutely. But but you also do get the shtick is, like, at a certain point, I was just, I, I'm sure this is probably the case for some parts of America. But I was like... Who the fuck puts their kid on a school bus anymore? You know what I mean? Like, what public school can actually afford to act, drive their kids to school? I'm sure there's lots of people who do. Oh yeah, it just doesn't happen I, in San Francisco. Yeah, I was going to say there's school buses here, Jeff. That's that's not a problem. Well, sure, and also, but that's you're such an outlier. That doesn't mean anything either. <laughs> no, but the, no, but the other thing is that almost doesn't matter because it's all about evoking like memories of small town americana do you know what i mean like it's not even smallville anymore whatever the fuck you know farmer town they're living in now yeah. isn't smallville right is is like is still smallville it's still the perfect american small farming town that you know hasn't existed for a good 30 years if, if that and there was just something that just kind of chafed me about that like one of the things that i sort of appreciate is the various ways in which squirrel girl actually feels like it's happening in this century you know yeah and and so yeah there was just something about it i mean i i, I don't mean to bitch about it because like i said it there were parts that were cute but there was also there's also i think i think um damien wayne's a tough character to sort of write uh and not be unsurprisingly since he's you know created by grant morrison in some ways he reminds me of emma frost which is i read in humans versus x-men issue one today uh and do do you hate yourself no not necessarily i mean i i i well it it ties into the larger sense of me hating myself um a lot of people may remember graham mocking me roundly for getting drunk and signing up for the marvel collector core boxes which oh, are is more that or less why you have it? the year yeah exactly it literally uh, was mailed to me i come out a while ago but yeah yeah that's uh, that's the thing i was like holy smokes this must have come out this week it shows you how out of touch i was but uh, I'm like, yeah, now I can read it. Oh, my God. Ooh, no. Ah, I thought people said these people were good, you know, kind of thing. Um, no, but it's it's one of those – it's one of those comics. And I think – I think I've said this in the past. X-Men and Humans are franchises that will take your favorites and make them problematic. 
Like, I'll take the creators who you know are good, are capable of good work, sure. and just make their work as generic as shit. It's, you know, it's generic. It's just, it's not just that it was generic. It's that thing of, um, again, that weird, like, me, like, oh, why aren't my her- heroes more heroic? Like, did did you read X-Men versus Inhumans number one? I mean, it's... No, I've got, I've got no... You're like, no, I, I I've honestly, got real comics um, to read. What's that? No, but like, no, I have no desire to read that. Well, I got like, I might read it when the entire thing is on Unlimited and I can read like all six issues in yes, one. Right. But the idea of like reading an issue and being like, well, that was terrible and I guess I've got to wait six months to finish it. Right. Nope. Yeah. Well, uh, I read it and it just, it just suffers from, I don't know. It suffers from some of the stuff that we were, that we've been. I think I've been bitching about with comics and particularly with the X-Men stuff when I jumped off is like going back into it. It seems depressing. It seems tedious. It's an incredibly like if you look at the events of the comic, it's pretty dull. It's like a, it feels like it's a 38 page. It's a 30 page comic where 22 pages of, of, of it is people walking into rooms and walking out of rooms. You know, it's like, oh, here's our big meeting. Meanwhile, there's another big meeting here. While on yet another place, here's a big meeting happening with the Inhumans. And then it all sort of gets tied together, and then you get your action sequence, which, you know, which is maybe two pages, and admittedly isn't Leno Francis use. I mean, his art's lovely enough, but you've got a sequence where it's like, um, spoilers, it's more or less uh, Black Bolt versus uh, Emma Frost and Dazzler, which it helps that Dazzler's undercover because then when you figure out who she is, it's like, ooh, awesome. Um, but but that's that fight is maybe two or three pages, which is fine for what it is. But the rest of it is kind of everyone sitting around being like, yeah, this Terrigen Mist is going to kill us, so we've got to get rid of that one cloud. But the Inhumans, we've managed to strike a truce with we're not going to have that truce so we've come up with a plan that means that we have to strike first so the x-men strike first and hank mccoy's like you guys are crazy i'm having no part of this and then he gets electrified by um, storm who was also in on the war planning council with magneto and emma frost and emma again this is what i was talking about is like emma Frost's character is one that it to me is very hard to write well and i sort of feel that's the same way with damon wayne like you look at the character and you're like oh i get it he's supposed to be like a pain in the ass dick it's like yes but no you know, and it's that same thing yeah. with Emma Frost. Well, a- a- Emma's the same. Yeah. Like, a- Emma is bitchy, but she has a heart. And people are like, I know how to do that. Yeah, exactly. Like, no, but that's not. Yeah. Oh, shit. Never mind. But what's really funny is you talk to people like that shows what X-Men comics we've read. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, could you talk to other people and they're like, that's like Grant Morrison's Emma Frost was, was completely wrong. Mm-hmm. I read all, you know, 12 million issues of Generation X and she's completely different. Right. Right. So, you know, I, I, I agree with you. I agree with you in both cases, but like, I, Grant Morrison's was also so wrong that it's like, sure. yeah, I, you know, at least he created Damien. Well, see, that's it. So he kind of has that. But I think even his sort of recreation of Emma, which I feel a lot of, um, 
a, a lot of Brit comic writers, which followed on X-Men, were like, oh, I get what he's doing and I know how to do this. And yeah, I definitely know what they're saying. Like, that character's been around for a long time. But but just the, oh, the stuff in, ugh. in Inhumans versus X-Men, it's basically her there with kind of her tits out and then basically yelling, but they killed Scott, kind of thing for like pages and pages and pages. And it's... It's deeply tedious. Deeply tedious is is basically how I would sum up that issue. But but they killed Scars, Jeff. Yeah, did they? I mean, I wasn't paying any attention. I guess they I, did. Did they ever show that? Yeah, I thought they I were going to show cloud, that in the, this. What? The clouds did. No, that was Death of X. Oh, because de- you can't just do one miniseries that, that features the storyline. You've got to do two. Yeah, of course. Right. Well, because they got to keep doing it until it somehow sells. So you know. We're, we'll, they'll probably have four of them. Anyway, it was kind of terrible. Uh, let's talk. Let do you want to talk about the Wild Storm, or is there more about Super Sons than you want to say? Because no, I think, no, as I I said, Super Sons is really... just like I. I wanted it to be better. Uh-huh. Like I liked it, mm-hmm. but again, I liked it because I got mailed it. Mm-hmm. The idea. I, I was having this conversation with a friend earlier this week that um, like DC mailed everything from Re- Rebirth for like three months, right? And I was like, I'm loving Rebirth. Rebirth is great. And then, like, they stop mailing everything. And you're like, oh, I've got to pay to keep up with these now. Right. And that's really the moment where you go from, I thought I was loving everything, mm-hmm. but I really am not. <laughs> because, sure, Nightwing's fun and all. But the idea of paying, I mean, two ninety nine every couple of weeks, yeah, I'll do with that. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's really funny is also the trades are coming in now. And a part of me is just like, if the trades are just going to be coming out every fucking three months, I should just buy the trades. Right. I shouldn't even buy the individual issues anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, if the trades are going to be $16 for six issues, mm-hmm. I should just buy the trades every three months. Right. Right. But again, it does get into that, like, hmm, yes, how are people going to continue to make their money, you know, in that sense yeah. of – anyway, it, it, it such is such are the worries. Should we talk about the wild storm? The wild yes. storm. The uh, wild storm. Yeah. Not just wild storm, mm-hmm. which I think even wild storm two words would still be better than the wild storm. <laughs> um, did you read Matt Terrell's review? I did. C- Cross platform plug, everyone. Exactly. That's on waywardpodcast.com. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, he had a really. His take was fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Because his take is essentially this is a, this is a fine comic. Mm hmm. It's very professionally done. It's arguably good, mm-hmm. but I had very different expectations of this comic, right. and therefore I didn't really like it. Yeah, this comic didn't match up to the comic in my head, therefore I didn't really like it. Right, and I also had very different expectations of this comic, but I liked it more because part of me was really worried that it was going to be more like the Wildstorm comics of the nineties. Mm-hmm. And I said, it is. Let's be honest, an issue of Warren Ellis's. James Bond comic. Mm. Yeah, I suppose that's... Which, I, which yeah. I'm, I'm completely enjoying, mm-hmm. but that's what it is. Like, all the way down to the fact that the last page isn't in any sense a satisfying climax to the issue. Oh, yeah. And it just stops. Like, they've just put, to be continued on the last panel, which that could be, like, the middle of a scene for all you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I... I, You know, it's funny. I really appreciated Matt's review because there was a lot to it that I thought was really brave and smart. Like 
the fact I thought I was the only person on the planet who actually preferred uh, Ellis's Stormwatch to the Authority. Like I ended up reading the Author the Stormwatch stuff in trades when they got collected, and I was like, oh, this is enjoyable. Like it's it's enjoyable in a way that that just hit that kind of superhero sweet spot as opposed to sort of the superhero next level sweet spot in, in of uh, the authority, which to me, I think the, my problem with Ellis is the more he, the more, the, the more he swings for the fences, the more disappointing it ends up being like, it's kind of like, eh, no, it's not really going to go there or it'll never be finished. Or, you know, it, for so much of it, it just kind of, putters out to me and that's i have to put the huge caveat in there of like i still haven't even finished planetary i keep telling myself i'm going to but after the wait for the last two issues or whatever i'm like yeah i'll sit down and i'll i'll do a graham mcmillan and read it in a wonder and i even have the the digital omnibus or whatever i'm like yeah i was gonna say the fact that they're selling all this stuff mm -hmm. like for cheap right now yeah. or where i think that sales over um I, I was convinced you were going to buy that. Yeah, uh, fortunately I didn't have to because I think the, the Planetary Omnibus was one of the first, like DC sort of experimented, like it was their first real like, oh, we're putting everything in one issue for like $40, will anyone buy this? And the answer was, we're never doing that again, but we're not going to tell you why. So... Jeff was Jeff will buy it. Jeff Jeff bought it, and that's all that matters. <laughs> that was that was our target audience, our little demographic. It's great. It's just a pie chart, and the pie just says Jeff on it. And Jeff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the wild storm is the wild storm. Part of me was like, yeah, it's jammed full of ideas. It's definitely a reboot book. It's definitely uh, Ellis Ellisizing. The characters, you know, it's like, it's Ellis being like, I want to do the story, tell the kind of stories that I like telling these days. And, you know, that I'm going to pretend uh, there's an audience for, which, you know, I think there is, I guess. But, you know, his whole like, oh, you know, again, as sometimes happens, Ellis is, um, can be his own worst enemy because his little text pieces totally sold me on picking up the book and and I like I like the art I like kind of like the um some of the ideas in it I actually really really like the storytelling you know in the sense of I thought that the the decision to basically do a watchman grid for it uh was a really interesting choice and I think that um Matt's explanation of how the Watchmen grids egalitarianism, I suppose, ends up feeling quote unquote more realistic is a really, a really smart analysis of that. You know, I think for me it was fine. It was just kind of that deal of I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't care about most of these characters. And so I don't necessarily care about their reinvention. So you have to give me something to care about, about the characters. And, and I think that's my problem is, is that's where Ellis tends to be kind of a weak spot for me. You know, I think Matt's uh, suggesting basically it's new year universal. Mm -hmm. um, is is right on the money. Mm -hmm. I think it is another, I think it's better than new universal because I think, uh, for 
all the efforts of everyone involved in Universal, it felt like a book that no one cared about, mm-hmm. in- including the people making it. Well, yeah, I think that uh, was the biggest and I, problem. And I yeah. think that Ellis just has more enthusiasm for the Wildstorm characters. I think he in does. In large part well. because, you know, it's characters he, he made it, he has a pass with. Mm-hmm. But also, it's, New Universe is kind of a weird concept. Because there is no underlying concept to it. New Universe is essentially just, and it's rip-offs of other comic characters. Ah, uh, what not. I have to say, I'm so sad that we spent so long digressing in the first part of this episode, because I would love to spend 15 to 20 minutes talking about the New Universe characters and New <laughs> Universe. Believe me, in some ways more than I would appreciate talking about Wildstorm and the Wildstorm characters. But... Wait, wait, well, we can we can stop talking about Wildstar, but let's talk about New Universe. Uh, Jeff, were you a fan? I I was a I would I I guess I would say that I was a a mildly intrigued spectator of new of New Universe. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I bought a lot of those titles. I tended to buy the most terrible titles. You know, um, so well, Kickers Incorporated, starting the Troubleshooters. Renamed by issue 10, codename Spitfire. Mm-hmm. Let's not forget. Right. You know that Al Ewing's bringing back the new universe characters in his book, right? Uh, no, I, I didn't know that, which is wonderful. That's great. Like, he, he genuinely Spitfire and the Troubleshooters is a different Spitfire, but, uh, <laughs> uh, there's a new team called the Troubleshooters in US Avengers, I think. Oh, wow. Um, mm-hmm. that, uh, that is made up of new universe characters. Wow. Uh, yeah, I, I did. I, no, I mean, sadly wrong. I bought, I bought Justice. I think, I think I had close oh, to a complete I, run I, of I, Justice. I, at one point in my life had a full run of Justice. I think I did too, which sadly explains so much about both of us and probably why we're still doing this podcast so many years later. Uh, I, I had like, I think Mark Hazard Merck. Um, both of those were Peter David titles, weirdly enough. Uh, I had, uh, no, Starts one. Justice was Carrie Bates and Keith Giffen, remember? Uh, oh, they, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. And they then, took over when, when they jettisoned all the alien stuff. Yeah, Because exactly. they had, like, the mid, like, a year in, they, they, like, rebooted the universe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Remember? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I don't remember rebooting the universe. I definitely remember them changing, they David rebooted, changing They rebooted the line. Yeah, they rebooted because the line. That happened at the same time as Spitfire and the Troubleshooters became codenamed Spitfire. That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which lasted like one year or something amazingly, like almost nothing. And it was also the same time that Burton came on Starbrand. Right. Which I, which of course I remember that. Which meant, which meant the pit happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the pit happened not long after that. And they were kind of like, oh, we've got a plan. We got a plan. And that plan is going to involve trying to give Jim Shooter an aneurysm. So, uh. But also that plan was to drive this line into the ground. Yeah, well, yes, exactly. It was kind of like the set fire to it, which, which again is something that was kind of interesting seeing happening in Justice. Uh, DP7, I mean, DP7, which was something that, that, uh, my, my buddy was buying that I ended up reading his issues, arguably the best book, I think, out of the line. And then of course there is Starbrand, which is, we've talked about our, our kind of, shock and awe of Jim Shooter Starbrand before. So I guess I would say that... Which, which here, yeah. Starbrand got even arguably weirder when Byrne took over. 
Yeah, arguably. I that's like, the thing not, I'd have not, to read it. Not more interesting. No. But arguably weirder. Yeah. I mean, the great thing was I kind of with Burn at least it sort of felt like it's cuz Shooter just the thing that I thought was interesting slash troubling to me about Starfire under Shooter apart from the weird the very weird character dynamics was just Shooter's approach to trying to tell stories were weirdly they 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 were it was odd that that for for comics that he was sort of like you know recreating that feeling of classic marvel comics they actually felt a lot more like didn't they to me they always felt like comics from 1939 you know where it's just like the adventures of strong stick man and strong stick man like beats up some saboteurs and then maybe on his way home he like grabs a burger and then suddenly he gets involved with like a plot involving like you know a a, a, a someone who's trying to poison like a milk processing plant and then he beats the crap out of those guys and then he goes back and is like what happens next issue more stuff like shooters whole i shooter if there was an overarching um mega story that he was planning on taking star brand that involved i don't know anything other than ken having anal with that duck character i don't i don't know what it was you know what i mean i just don't know what the fuck it was? So I oh no he he was doing he was doing his latest version of like why can't an asshole have ultimate power and be loved? Like that's what Star Rand is. It's how can I use Green Lantern to tell the next version of my an asshole has supreme power but everyone doesn't love him yet? You know, Sorry. it's so funny because I feel I feel like that's. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, there, there. Yes, I suppose that's how you would boil down that story. Like it makes sense when you when you describe it that way. I'm like, I feel like Starbrand was his way of being, like trying to tell a different story. He just didn't realize that the character was an asshole. You know what I mean? Like he was kind of like, oh, here's a character with asshole tendencies, and now that he has the greatest power of all, will he become more of an asshole? You know? And it's kind of like. This guy's a total dill hole in every way. In every way. That character is a walking, talking tool, Jim Shooter, who may or may not be having sex with a mentally handicapped woman. And that's weird. That's weird. Yeah. It's weird to read those comics because they're on Unlimited. I don't know if you know this. Oh, shit. No. The, the, yeah. The Star Brand issues, the Shooter issues, at least they're on Unlimited. Oh my god, we gotta, we um, should read them all and like do a thing, cause I said that. But I remember I bought all those comics you, up in Portland and then, yeah. yeah. But you, you, you read them and then you're like, what is going on with Duck? Yeah. Like, never mind what is going on with that storyline where like, Ken, he's, he's a complicated guy, cause he's cheating on his, his girlfriend. No, what is going on with Duck? Yeah. Yeah. No. Because mm -hmm. you're not being, overly harsh when you say maybe like there's something wrong with her yeah because that's kind of the only sensible reading of that character no the only sensible reading of the character even when you go back and redo a thing with it is very much like ken is having sex with this character and that character 
is being that he feels guilty about in a way that is not necessarily tied to cheating on his girlfriend and much more is tied to the idea of she is maybe mildly mentally retarded and he's still having sex with her which again is this like i i just i you can't but but shooter's weird version of writing subtle or writing coy but also the fact that he's kind of he's not subtle with his character work is like, maybe that's, maybe he's just, you know, you read it and you're like, maybe Jim Shooter was having sex with Steve Gerber. Like, I don't know. I don't know, Graham, when you read the star brand, was he, was it, was the character named duck and kept making the whack noises because it's Steve Gerber and Jim Shooter was sleeping with him. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. That's probably my best star brand theory. Anyway, why Warren Ellis <laughs> can't tackle the new universe with that level of depth. No, I, I I think that the thing that drives me crazy about the new universe is, is that that there's most of those those ideas or those characters or whatever I have a certain some of them I have a certain fondness for. There's no reason why you couldn't actually revisit that stuff. You know, I don't think you could like be like no, but, do but the new universe a, twenty years later. You know, and you come is back there a to it. Unifying, is there a unifying theory to it? Because with Wildstorm, for all its faults, and I, I should say, like I like the comic. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's, but it plays to me much more as like a thriller than a, than a superhero story. Sure, which is fine. Um, and I think it's because. Ellis like purposely recasts it as yeah. it is it's a high tech political thriller. Yeah. Right. It's right in the you know? Warren Ellis, you know, um boathouse. It's one part yeah. it's kind of like him being like, I'm doing extremists, you know, sort of my greatest hits of extremists. I'm doing my greatest hits of my James Bond title, and I'm also doing um I think honestly, Ellis after years and years of of you know, blowing his own horn about how great this visual storytelling, how important it is to pay attention to panel breakdowns. And it's like drumming and pop singles and yada, yada, cue the montage of Warren Ellis newsletters. I feel that, I feel that honestly the storytelling and it was super strong. Like all the, all the, all the panel changes made sense to me and, and worked well and did just did a lot of work. It's a very well done comic. I just yeah. had that weird thing of like, it's it's a big, big project of 24 issues, which is meant to be a unified thing. And I suspect for me, that means that it's going to be disappointing because I think, I don't think that Ellis well, can do but also like, issues like, of anything. But also, if you're not interested in the characters, then there's also not a lot here to keep your interest. Well, and I think that, yeah, to return to my point, I don't feel like those characters were, again, Ellis's characterization to me isn't really a strong point uh, especially for a group book because it's kind of like well i got one character uh okay here's that character again but that character is a woman now that character is an old man okay now i'm going to do that character but as a midget you know what i mean like it's kind of like eh. is he, here's the terse smart ass the scientific smart ass or the brash smart ass or the world weary smart ass and frankly all of them can kind of talk exactly like that. So I think that was my problem. Is this like I walked out of that first page is a real grabber, but of course I don't really know anything about who um, Zealot is 
you know, later that, on. Yeah, in the that book. that was that was really interesting to me from Matt's uh review. Mm-hmm. Where he's like, Zealot starts looking like she did in classic incarnation, then she takes the makeup off. And I was like, Oh, I didn't get that at all. Oh, you didn't? Like I'm I'm so I'm so unfamiliar with Zealot that oh, I was okay. like, Oh, she's covered in blood and she's wiping it off. Mm-hmm. Like did did not even occur to me. Interesting. Interesting. That's you know, and like all, all of our cheat and like voodoo. Mm-hmm. Voodoo, I remember more than anything from the fucking new fifty two version of voodoo. Oh my god! And everyone being really upset that she was a stripper. Like, do you remember that? Do you remember that the people were actually upset that she was a stripper? She was a stripper in before the new fifty two. No, no, but people were like, I, I, I thought that I thought they were upset about it because she was now a bisexual stripper, or maybe a, a gay okay. stripper, or something. I can't, I can't, I just remember people being like, I can't believe, it was two things, I can't believe that she's a stripper, mm-hmm. and I can't believe that Ron Mars is writing the stripper book. <laughs> and these days, you would only get the second one of those. Right. Which I think says a lot about, I hope, like, the internet getting better. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> um, no, I, I really, like, I remember really strongly people being like, I can't believe DC has gone for, like, a stripper like, DC's only got, like, two woman-led books. Because remember the New 52 launch? Well, that's like, true. One Catwoman and Voodoo, I think that was it. Yeah. Woman-led books. Right. So it's like, like a Wonder Woman, stripper. a stripper, and and an ex-prostitute, yeah. depending on what version of, of Catwoman you're going to be getting. So, yeah. I What I also love is the ex-prostitute is literally Frank Miller's. No one else. Yeah. And people are always like, but she's an ex-prostitute. Frank Miller's weird fucked up misogyny is strong right well but the, but i mean it's sort of kind of depending on which version that you read i i want to say didn't mindy nevins end up with her catwoman series she ended up following it because of course she took on the stuff with holly and then ed brubaker and darwin cook story because they again bring back holly they also bring back the they I don't really I deal with it like, in a very straightforward way, but yeah, I I could be wrong. De- definitely the 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 Mint and Ewell stuff did. Uh huh. Um, but also that did that not like literally spin out of Batman Year One? Yeah, like really quickly. Yeah, and and was pretty much sold as like it's Batman Year One, but with Catwoman. Yes. Um, I want to say the Brubaker stuff like purposely never actually said that she was a prostitute. Uh, it was like, yeah. here's Holly, she screwed up. Yes. And they know each other, but like, they never went that, that, that distance. Cause I think by that point, and I could be utterly misremembering, mm-hmm. but like, editorial were like, we're never mentioning the prostitute thing again. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm definitely down with it. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Also, was she actually a prostitute or was she a dominatrix? Well, she was a dominatrix. Am I? Yeah, I, but. Yeah, I, I'm like, I'm trying to remember. Because uh, she was a madam in Dark Knight, right? Uh, yes, she was a madam, and of course, I think someone pointed out the 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 part of Frank Miller's haha is she's Catwoman, and she comes she's she's from a cat house, you know, from a cat house, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so it's kind of a yeah. Thing. We got it, Frank. <laughs> Good job, Frank. Uh too bad I'm not doing detailed show notes because I love the. A message to Frank Miller from Graham McMillan. Like, it just shot, exactly. mark out that little two seconds in there. What? Yeah, 152. But so, um, the New Universe is like a huge, big slop 
of stuff. But I also feel that, like yeah, that's it. Is there is there unifying theories in New Universe? Because I know that when New Universal happened, Else was basically playing it as the white event is the unifying thing, right? And, and everything spins off that, but the white event is the thing, and that's the story engine. Sure, sure. But is there something beyond that? Like, for all that I make fun of the pit, the pit at least was a thing that brought the books back together. Yeah, yeah. No, the pit and the draft and all the other stuff, I, you know, which I thought in theory was a great idea if you weren't, you know, basically gleefully like setting fire to the universe. Just, yeah, that was just the problem. to piss off it your really boss. Did. Like, it, yeah. I, I, but the problem really was the pit fucked it up mm-hmm. because from that point on, you're, you're literally like, I, it's our happy-go-lucky universe where anything can happen. And by the way, there's a radioactive, like, literal pits where Pittsburgh used to be. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I I feel that for me, as I recall, and I would have to revisit it, is, is that at least, um, for the most part, I feel like the people creating those books generally were like, we're, tr- we're going to create we're trying they're creating stories they're creating story engines that are going to have some life to them you know i feel that starbrand dp7 um uh night mask um even, oh night mask yeah you know even even justice to an extent uh all have kind of a story engine that is going that that's going to allow that that has a rel- relatively strong hook at the core of it that's going to allow you to generate story ideas with it. Well, and, all and, of the basic yeah. concepts mm-hmm. are are fine. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I mean, literally unoriginal shit. Starbrand is literally Green Lantern. Yeah, right. But that's still fine. Mm-hmm. Like, person has the most powerful weapon in the universe. Yeah. You you can go anywhere with that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, DP seven was what? DP seven was basically Grunwald's attempt to Just do X Men. X Men, yeah, basically, and it worked yeah. fine. And what was great was he had a good sense of like, okay, I've got to have different characters, and also because they're different powers, make them a little more physical freakish. They're all a bit more emotionally vulnerable, and so when they form into a team, like you know what I mean, like that's. That's that's just greatest hit stuff. That stuff is stuff that's hard to that, that when you do it well, you're like, okay, this is not original, but it's strong. And that's what I think was interesting is back then a lot of these guys were like they weren't. It wasn't like oh, I'm I'm trying to create like a next you know a movie pitch or a TV pitch. It's like I'm creating a comic book that I want to believe is going to be able to last for twenty or thirty years. You know, and then it's being tied together in this bow of, oh, and it's happening in the world outside your window. Part of me is like, yeah, I mean, you know, in a way, don't you think that in the first season of Heroes has as much to do with New Universe in a way as it does, at least until it takes its super heavy D turn into uh, Days of Future Past. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, I mean it's funny. New Universal, especially like Heroes. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. right. Do you know? What I think like New Universal. I I remember at the time being like this genuinely feels like Heroes. Yeah, 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 
Exactly. Well, because I think they were kind of reverse engineering it. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, we do this, and then we do that, and then perfect, and then, you know. And Warren Ellis is like, great. I, uh, you know, I planned up to issue four, and then I decided to shoot so much heroin into my eye because I realized I didn't want to live anymore. But apparently I survived, and uh, maybe I'm not the best person to work oh, on God. this book. <laughs> Did you see that? Oh, I mean, God. I don't, I don't know. I mean... Oh, speculate. <laughs> I was talking to someone that, uh, this week about uh, uh, about Matt Fraction, and they were like, "Well, you really went in hard on Matt Fraction on the podcast." I, I was like, "Yeah, we, you know, we we kind of did." Did someone actually bring I, that I, up I, recently? God, it was a couple of yeah. years ago. I feel like, oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay, uh huh, uh huh. Um, but. Well, we were talking about my fraction for another reason, and, and it came up. Sure. Okay. Um, but I remember being thinking to myself, "Yeah, but we, you know, we wouldn't do that now." And then all of a sudden, we're like, "And then Mornellis shot his eyeball full of so much heroin because he didn't want to live anymore." And I, clearly, we have changed in the two years since we did. Clearly, because I'm kind of well. I am, yeah, I am, yeah. I am appalled that you just. <laughs> Oh, I see. I see how it is. You see how the dynamic has changed? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I, okay, that's rampant speculation. I feel like the speculation with Fraction was more disturbing because it, it was both more stalkery and in a, in a way more well considered. I mean, Ellis is purely, that's, that's just me talking out my ass. I don't really think there could be other stuff going on with Ellis. I, lots of other things, but I just feel like there's a lot of times where I feel Ellis's projects don't always end up coming out in a timely or come to market fashion, you know, because they, because I don't, it's either he gets really bored or I think particularly in a thing like New Universal, he he's doing something that he feels is so hacky. He just doesn't want to do it anymore. You know what I mean? He just doesn't. Well, just remember, um, Oh, was it, was it not like his laptop crashed or something, and that was the reason why he did? Like, it just stopped. Yeah, it just right, remember it just like it disappeared after like issue four or something. Yeah, it did. And he was like, "Yeah, my hard drive crashed, I, and I didn't have nodes." And I remember just be like, "Really?" And you can't just like try and continue. Yeah. The book. See, I mean, come on, that's a bullshit excuse. Heroin in the eye makes a lot more sense. And it's just like, yeah, they resuscitated <laughs> oh me from the bathtub oh and I realized oh I did want to live. Oh you know what I mean? It's like, I want to live. I just don't want to write another issue of New Universal. And I feel like that is, that is the Warren Ellis story. I'm doing this thing. Oh, oh no. I'm right on the verge of, of, oh my God, this is horrible. This is, I've, I've become a oh. hackiest hack. This is, this is going oh, to kill me. Jeff. And then he's like, no, I want to live. I think, I think it's a beautiful okay. testament okay. 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 about okay. choose life. That's what I'm saying. Choose life. In, in that, in, in that frame of mind, Jeff, what is the reason that Mar that Miracle Man, the Silver Age has just disappeared? Oh yeah, I was this the other week. It, it was it's a year ago since it was quote unquote postponed. Yeah, I I, I don't think I think will uh, we ever see that? First of all, I don't think that we will. I don't think that we will unless Marvel changes ownership significantly. Because, and I could be wrong, I think the money that Neil Gaiman wants to do it is more than Marvel thinks that it will ever be able to make from it at this point. 
I mean, okay. I, I mean that's that's fair because Marvel's probably making absolutely no money. Well, from that's it. what I'm saying. They're making nothing for it, but they've got to pay Neil Gaiman Neil Gaiman dollars, and they've got to pay Mark Buckingham something, but they've got to pay Neil Gaiman Neil Gaiman money. And are they going to see Neil Gaiman return on it? They're clearly not, as far as they can tell. Every the Magic Eight Ball that has been all of the Marvel reprint issues. And the graphic novels. And I think that's the other thing. They were like, you know what? When the graphic novels hit the libraries and suddenly it's this super strong seller for us and et cetera, et cetera, you know, and it's just not happening. So, but I don't think that that's, yeah, I mean, you know, the great thing, (laughs) this is like, ah, I really, you've set up a prime situation for me to slander Neil Gaiman and his newfound desire to make money. But I don't, I don't really, um. I don't, I don't want to go there because that does seem mean, you know, but, uh, <laughs> but I just think that's that, too far. We fi- finally found the, the line. Really? Uh, all right. Yeah. For me anyway, for you, it, no, apparently it, it was bad. Yeah, for you. Yeah. Time. Yeah, exactly. That's okay. I'm, I'm glad we found the line. <laughs> Jeff, we're at two hours. Oh my God. Just tell me the other, co- just tell me the other comics that you've read. Oh my goodness. Yes. Tell me if you liked them or didn't yes. go. Okay. Give me a second. Got to open the list. Okay. Here we go. I read Slasher Number 1 by Charles Foreman, which is coming out from Floating World Comics very soon. Very, very soon. Uh, maybe it came I out this weekend. It's, 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 it's been on my Kindle, and I'm honestly just being like, I have to fucking read this comic. to read this comic. Uh, this week's been a fucker. Anyway, Jeff, it's great, right? I, I think I think that it is great, but it is I, yeah, it's really fascinating in the way that it was – still managed to not be what I was expecting, uh, even as it is sort of something that I expected. Definitely with a title like Slasher and coming out of Revenger, I figured that I was going to be seeing some sort of um, sort of more giallo, violent, uh, a dark, violent horror comic from Charles Foreman that had... Uh, that had like a kind of uh, patina, like a high-end gloss to it, I guess. And actually, um, I feel like Slasher is a weird mix of the end of the fucking world, like his sort of um, outcast characters. Even the this is the the outcastiness of this is not okay meets sort of that Revenger gloss. It's a very disquieting book. It's a very disquieting first issue. Um, it really creeped me out. There was a, it was one of the few books that I can actually say I sat down to read it while I was at work at lunch and I turned the page and then basically turned off the iPad and was like, uh, I can't do this. (laughs) I can't do this while I'm eating. That's going to be a huge mistake. Oh man. That being said, I'm simultaneously like, Oh, I really look forward to this ad. Oh, I don't think I can read this. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but it's sort of, it's interesting. It's, it's really, it works out. Okay. Uh, I reread four kids walk into a bank issues one through three. Cause I hadn't read issue three. Uh, suicide squads issue 10 and 11, 11 being the first John Romita jr. Uh, issue, and I think it's interesting that it's basically Rob Williams is stuck with his like, um, you know, front piece, back piece story approach, which of course he is, even though he's telling one story. Yeah, 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 yeah. He figures yeah. out a way to change it up, and I think, 
I think that's smart, but I still, particularly for a biweekly book, you can't, I don't think you can necessarily get Romita Jr. drawing biweekly, even though on some of his pages, it looks like he totally is drawing biweekly, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, Killer Be Killed, number six, Cave Carson, number five, Super Sons, number one. Platinum End, number 16. Flintstones, number 8. Uh, I read the Love is Love trade paperback digitally. And Graham, have you, I'm assuming you haven't read it because you did not mention. Or if you did, you probably did. And I totally forgot as I'm saying it now. I realize you probably did mention this. The Return of Extrano in Love is Love, which is uh, amazing. I, I have not read it. I am very excited to see that, but I've told you before, he's already back in the Midnight Turn Apollo series. Oh, yeah. You did tell me that. So, yeah, this is the year of the Extrano renaissance. Is, is Steve Orlando doing the Extrano in Love is Love? No. Dan DiDio. Bless his heart. It's, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, exactly. Dan DiDio doing Extrano, which was which was a, a nice little appearance. I, I really have to give him some, some uh, significant pop-up. Inhumans versus X-Men number one, uh, Gwenpool issues 11 and 12, The Wildstorm number one. I read Inner City Romance, the trade paperback, collecting the five or six issues by Guy Colwell. That was a Comixology Unlimited uh, borrow and fascinating as hell. Colwell is, you know, was an underground cartoonist who was both was basically being pulled in all kinds of directions at once. So you catch him trying to do um, sort of social realist political commentary comics, which is sort of more or less the first issue reads like it could be like a almost a not quite complete crime story from somebody like Iceberg Slim. And then the second one is an honest to God fucking musical. And then the third issue is a dream sequence issue by three different convicts in prison. Um, and it just goes on and on and on. It's like a lot of ambition, uh, a, a certain amount of like, Oh, this is an underground comic. So we've got to have a lot of sex to sell it. Um, it just pulls in a lot of different directions. Really strange. Um, thanks to Yacinda, uh, who was a common, uh, someone who uh, submitted a comment that I'm ashamed to say literally sat waiting in moderation for, I think, three weeks, uh, mentioned <laughs> that I should try reading Monthly Girls uh, Nozakai-kun as a, as a new manga. And uh, the first issue was cheap it's like 2.99 on a comiXology through yen press i adore it it's kind of amazing how much i love the first two volumes of that i had to actually not read volumes three and four because i needed to read all the rest of these comics that's it's a joke it's a get a single page gag strip but somehow manages to fold that into regular quote-unquote stories about High school girl who has this crush on this tall, handsome upperclassman who it turns out is actually a successful uh, manga creator of shoujo, shoujo, uh, women's girls romance comics. And so half the hilarity of it is a variety of, um, manga in jokes, which doesn't sound like that they would work really well, but is surprisingly universal. If you've read, I don't know. I haven't read a lot of girls manga, like maybe 
seven volumes, but it's enough for all these jokes to land. Really, really a funny, well-done manga. I really adore it. And I read issues zero through three of Duck Avenger, which I was looking forward to talking to you about, and I guess I will have to hold off till next time. It's Donald... what is Duck Avenger? Duck Avenger is Donald Duck as superhero more or less he's apparently if i'm understanding things correctly up until the point of these reprints he was more or less running around as a superhero that he was donald duck had had inherited the um basically all the super weapons and and uh gear of duckabolic basically the the Duckburg, Duckburg version of Diabolic. So, Diabolic, yeah. Yeah, so it's basically the super thief that that Donald manages to find and inherit all of the super thief's old super equipment and then uses it to fight crime. When Duck Avenger Zero kicks in, he ends up more or less getting a super power upgrade uh, and having to fight these very strange... Aliens. I say strange because the design is amazing at first and kind of comes and goes. So zero through three more or less is telling regular installments of a larger story that involves this. Um, uh, I don't know how to describe it. Basically this ongoing alien invasion. So, uh, and has a, has some really interesting, if you can imagine, Someone trying to draw like ducks on surfboards like it was Jack Kirby and Carl Barks and Mobius being crossed with one another. Um, that sounds amazing. It, the, after that, it, the, the art gets a little more rushed. It's, it's a weird comic. It's a really weird comic. I think you would both like it in the way that it, it is in many ways, like read, reading Silver Age DC comics and also dislike it because I don't think that you have as much tolerance for watching basically Donald Duck fight crime, I suppose, you know? <laughs> Whereas it just sounds amazing to me. Oh, okay. Well, you... I mean, it sounds, sounds genuinely amazing. Uh, I have a question to ask you. Sure. I was uh, talking to Jay Edison earlier this week. Oh, yeah. And uh, they recommended Junju Ito's Cat Diary to me. Have oh, you heard of this? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love Junju Ito's Cat Diary. That was a great read. Oh, holy shit. Yeah. Like, every time I'm looking through it, I'm like, this is the most horrifying thing. And they're like, no, no, it's it's not. It's not meant to be horror. And I was like, are you sure? Because this looks horrifying. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, the amazing thing about it that's so funny is Junji Ito draws it in his horror style, and those cats look <laughs> totally like demonic. It has no eyeballs, and it looks like a monster. Yeah. Yeah. It's fucking great. And you're just like, that's insane. But one of the things that's really funny about it is that the way that Ito uses that, um, horror comic style to kind of create like, you know, like cats out of, out of all of our various pets, except I don't know, maybe snakes like this, the, the cat cats remind you that they are other, you know? And so I think that, I think that his style really works for helping to remind you that cats are these others, but, but he then goes on to more or less talk about how, 
hilarious and lovable they are, except when they're not being intensely creepy as far as he's concerned. It's a, it's, it's a great collection. Yeah. Yeah. I, I honestly was looking through it and, and Jay was like, isn't this amazing? <laughs> My two thoughts were, this is horrifying and Jeff has to know about this. And if he doesn't, I have to tell him. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for mentioning it. Yeah. That is one that uh, I actually am familiar with and quite enjoyed. Yeah, it, it it just kind of blew my mind. Um, I've been reading a shit ton of old comics this week. Great. Um, but, but beyond that, I, I mean, the old comics I've talked about many times before. So I'm literally just rereading like All Stars. I'm rereading uh, Old Legions. So I worked through like all of Super Friends, the entire fucking run of Super Friends. Wow. Um, it's fe- it's very much like brain comfort food before mm-hmm. I go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Where it's just like. I need something to sort of switch my brain off. Yeah. And so it's always completely do the trick for me. DC Comics Presents is the same thing mm-hmm. where it's just like, this is what I need. Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, I can get through a couple of issues and my brain's like, oh, okay, sure. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to stress about work or anything else. I can just switch off. Uh, I read the second volume of Jughead, the, the, uh, yeah, which is the final chip Sadarsky issues yeah. and the first Ryan North issues, mm-hmm. uh, which is just great. It's, it's just a really good comedy comic. Mm-hmm. And I have to be honest, finding out that Mark Wade's going to be taking over the book makes me kind of sad. Oh. Um, cause I think North and, and Zdarsky have got a very particular tone to it. I don't think Wade will be able, be able to do the book. I would be tone. kind of surprised if he could hit that tone. Yeah. I know what you mean. Um, Batwoman Rebirth issue one, or Bat, I think, it's, yeah, Batwoman Rebirth issue one is mm-hmm. the first Marguerite Bennett issue, mm-hmm. and it's great. Hmm. It's very much a hero's her origin once more, mm-hmm. but it's just very well done. It it bodes very well for the new series, mm-hmm. uh, if, in large part because it finally breaks away from the J.H. Williamsness of it all, mm-hmm. and that's what the character needed. Yeah. Like it, it's much better that like Ebding is not going and here's some wacky page design. <laughs> You know, um, and and with Ben and Tynan writing, it has character, which I think the J.H. Williams run really didn't. Yeah, I think I think it's once really they were yeah. really personalityless. Mm-hmm. Justice League of America, the new Steve Orlando Ivan Rice book, is completely serviceable superhero comics. Commandy Challenge issue two, Ooh. and Commandy Challenge issue one. I'm sure you did. You read issue one. I read right? issue one. Yeah, once issue two out, is that yeah. next week or something? This week. Oh, okay. this, yeah, this week. Mm-hmm. Um, cause for some reason comps were really early this week and really late last week. I have no idea that those two things are connected. Right. Uh, but like I call them a day apart. Huh. Yeah. That is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Command Challenges 2 is Pete Tomasi and, uh, Neil Adams. Whoa. And to say that Tomasi leans into the Kirby of it all is an understatement. Mm. Uh, there is a, there is, a very obvious cameo from another Kirby series mm-hmm. and a very not obvious cameo from another Kirby series. Interesting. Okay. Uh, in, in his issues, hmm. uh, I, which I think you'll, you'll dig a lot. Uh, the new Wonder Woman is, is continuing to be much stronger than it's any right to be. Divinity 3, the Valiant series is confusing the shit out of me just in terms of it seems to be literally repeating a repeating a pot, plot point from the Divinity 2. Hmm. And I can't work out if it's if it is, or if Divinity 2 ended really unclearly but wasn't supposed to end the way I read it ending, mm. or if something else is going on. Right. 
But the short version is, I thought Divinity 2 ended with the world was restored to normal and not left as the Russian version of itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you saw the characters all normal again, and you saw the Statue of Liberty looking like the Statue of Liberty. Right. But Divinity 3, with no explanation whatsoever, is back in everything is Russian again. Mm-hmm. And all the characters are like new versions of themselves. Okay. I have no idea what is actually going on, but it's fine for people who love like alternate world, like House of M type things. Right. But, uh, uh, sure, I guess, ish. I, like, maybe that's good. Um, the one thing I'm going to give a surprising shout out to is the first volume of ROM. Mm. The uh, IDW relaunch, mm-hmm. which, unlike Micronauts, is pretty much just a straight-up reboot of the Marvel series. Interesting. Whereas Micronauts is very much not. Micronauts is – it's a science fiction series. Oh, look, it's called Micronauts. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas this is like, do you, remember this, this, do you remember the start of the Marvel book? We're doing that. Right. Hmm. Uh, and it's, it still works surprisingly well. Mm-hmm. Who knew? Who knew they're doing Invasion of the Body Snatchers, but a, another alien comes to Earth and starts killing everyone? Right. Like, work. Like, Terminator meets Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Turns out to be a great idea. Ooh. Well summed up. Yeah. I. You know, it's so funny. I have to admit, I had that weird... Because I think the... Maybe that's still going on, but there was... Uh, IDW's having, like, a digital, like, World of Hasbro sale. And I think they had some of the issues of ROM in it for sale type prices and i was like hmm i wonder if i dare and i, I didn't <laughs> i thought reader i did <laughs> <laughs> um i have a bunch of stuff reading that i have to read this week uh before emerald city that i'm really looking forward to including god i can't remember what the book's called it's the uh the biography of mama Cass and the mamas and the papas uh california dreaming by uh penelope bago hmm uh, which I'm really looking forward to reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I've got a bunch of other things to go through that are, are very disconnected to the day job. Do you know what I mean? Like, not things I have to read and go, ooh, right. what, what is happening in this new superhero comic? Mm-hmm. And I'm looking forward to digging into those. Mm-hmm. I, my brain needs the, the switch, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Some, sometimes it does need that switch. I, I definitely agree. Uh, well, so... Hmm. Graham, are is so you mentioned Emerald City. Is that are we? Is there going to be a podcast next week? There is going to be a podcast next week. There's not going to be one the week after that. Uh, Emerald City's two weekends away. Okay, great. I will. I'll have to look later when we're off air and see if I got that sc- calendar in or not. I think you. Yeah, no, it is. Remember. It is. We, we. Yeah, we planned this out last time. We planned things. Okay, great. Good, good, good. We actually planned ahead for once. Ah, it's unusual, I know. I know. We actually it, it really does throw me off. I'm like, oh yeah, look at that. We actually know when we're talking through the end of March, which is that's it's been a while since we've had that 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 large of flight normally, plan. Normally, out. it's like decide on the air as well. Yeah, pretty like, much. Are, are we? Uh, what's going on? <laughs> well, so yeah, so we're back next week then uh, with yes, another way. But, but right. But wait. But wait. I have to do the whole end of show stuff, Jack. Oh, right. I guess there is an end of show thing. Yeah. All right. Sure. <laughs> Listeners, what not? <laughs> Thanks for joining us. In these turbulent times, it's good to know that you can rely on some things. Jeff and I just going horrifically off topic and then not shutting up for two and a half hours. Yeah, that's a thing. <laughs> what is also a thing? 
is waitwhatpodcasts.com where you find written posts from Matt Terrell, maybe one day from Jeff and I, really, who can tell? Who can tell? But you'll also find show notes That's right. to all the episodes and all the Baxter Building episodes. And that is just as good. Just just admit it. Open your heart and admit it to yourself. You can and see if that's not enough for you. Truth. Yes. Correct. If that's not enough, mm-hmm. there's also waitwhatpods.tumblr.com. Yeah, where you're doing we're an in, amazing There's job. random comics panels mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. from whatever the hell I happen to be reading. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are, that's why, that's why this week there's been like Super Friends stuff up. Oh man. Because I was like, Super Friends is great! I love Super Friends! Uh, Super Friends, I'm veering off, but I'm going to veer back very quickly. Super Friends, especially in the early issues, mm-hmm. has master classes in doing like superhero adventures in two pages. Because mm. every story starts with like, uh, you know, Batman or Superman is patrolling and they'll have this fight and then we'll get into the story. And it's amazing to see them do like an entire story in two pages. They're simple as hell, obviously. Right. But it, it, there's a, such an economy of storytelling that people mm. should just study. Hmm. Um, anyway, that's what you, that's the sort of thing you can find on waitwhatpod.tumblr.com. There's also a Twitter. Uh, at wait what podcast jeff is on twitter solo at lazy bastard at l-a-z-y-b-a-s-t-i-d i am on twitter solo at graham m at g-r-a-e-m-e-m um and we are a patreon supported podcast people who are supporting us on patreon you are beautiful inside and out and exceptionally generous and we appreciate everything that you were giving to the world <laughs> and in particular to us. Because I said Patreon, Jeff is already kicking his feet in excitement because he wants to talk to you. Jeffrey? I'm kicking something, Graham, because basically <laughs> you said something beautiful and wonderful and you're like, take it, Jeff. I'm like, okay, for those people who actually prefer the mumbly, not thought out, kind of hesitant version of what Graham said, uh, yeah, you guys on Patreon are great. You make all of this possible. Uh, the Baxter Building podcast would not exist if it wasn't for you fine folk. And, uh, we are especially grateful to the kind crew at American Ninth Art Studios, as well as Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, for ongoing support and or, uh, non-cosmic destruction. We, we thank you so much, both of you, for that. Um, as well as everyone else who gives us support, um, be it via Patreon in its uh, fiscal way or via giving us the occasional shout out on Twitter. Um, it's, it's well appreciated. It genuinely is. And we thank you. Actually, we really should say lots of people have been talking to us or mentioning us on Twitter recently. And it's been really nice. Thank you very much, everyone. Yeah. Oh, this is where we should also say, hey, give us a review on iTunes because every podcast I listen to does that and we never say that. Um, guys, give us a review on iTunes. Uh, neither Jeff nor myself really understand what that means. <laughs> like, we understand the concept of reviews and we understand the concept of iTunes. Don't get me wrong. I just don't quite understand the concept of, like, why that's a great thing? Yeah, well, like apparently it raises visibility. I, I think Maybe? it does. I think it does. I, I, I think. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, it's a good thing. I, you know, I I think we 
bugged people for it, and then they they both did and didn't. We've got some very good reviews out there, but by all means, we have. But we just we never ask is the thing, and and it's worth having something. I think sometimes when people are like, uh, "This is like nine million years old," do we really? Is this still going on? This last comment was from 2014, and they were talking about cleanses. Is that really a good thing? So. So yeah, something something current, letting people know that we're still alive, we're still blabbing, and you still like us. I think I think couldn't hurt, right? So, also we're gonna sure. ha- apparently have ads for stamp dot com. Which was it? Stamps dot com is that the one that was? So, oh <laughs> wait, wait, what? I don't know. I mean, I think that's a thing. Actually, DNA pants. Oh my god. DNA pants gave us a bad review. This is like one of our. This is kind of a. This is one of our few bad reviews. It's from January twenty fifth. Every. Oh, this year. Yes, the review. The, the subject line is "I'm over it," and then the and then the review is "Everything new is bad. Everything old is good." Ugh. If you have time for two and a half hours of complaining, then this is the podcast for you. Ah, DNA pants. Oh my god, really? I love that. Uh, I feel bad because I'm like, I think that I I feel like that is something that 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 I worry that I circle around too much. So, you know, you like things. I I like finding new things. Sometimes those new things are just older things, though. But I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I'm sort of like, I don't think that I'm your go-to guy for like rebirth reviews. I think you are, but then I'm not sure if either of us are like. Um, uh, the people to go to for Marvel reviews of anything that isn't Squirrel Girl, you know? I don't know. That's true. What? You talked about IVX this is, this episode? Yeah, you know, sure. I take back everything I said about leaving us reviews, apparently. apparently <laughs> you, you, people, you people are just going to backstab us? <laughs> <laughs> That's great, though. That makes me happy. In a weird way, that really does make me happy. Uh, I'm happy that we got a review, even if it was a bad review. Yeah, that's true. Uh, there's a review from, uh, November of 2016. That's relatively recent. That was actually pleasant. Oh, come on. Why are you closing on me, iPhone? Uh, I'm getting to it. Intelligent comic book talk from Seattle Chaos. Oh, no. Settle Chaos. (laughs) Seattle Chaos. Uh, people, now you know what I think. First it's the snow, now it's Seattle. The hosts of this podcast have the most critical minds in all of podcasting. They are fair and honest when it comes to reviews and are able to dissect even the most critically acclaimed comic book series out there. Thank you, Subtle Chaos. My goodness. You and DNA Pants don't necessarily agree, but we, we appreciate both of you. Well, DNA Pants isn't listening anymore, Jeff. Oh yeah, DNA. Let's face it, there's no way DNA pants has made it to this point in this episode, even if they decided to try it. That, again. That's probably true. DNA pants uh, <laughs> basically listened to our last episode, then basically shot their eyeball full of heroin, and then uh, was found in the bathtub <laughs> the next day. Oh no, no, no! I was like, I want Listeners, to live. I want to be to back live. next week, and I'm going. I'm going to stop Jeff from doing this. That next week is going to be our non-legally actionable episode. <laughs> Uh, in which Jeff and I are both going to find something new to recommend. You just fucking wait. Yeah. Right? It's going to happen. Wait. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Jeff's going to find something that will have come out in the last 12 months that is not based on a character that pre-existed, and he's going to rave about it. Well, I have to say, Monthly Girls Nozaka-kun, Volumes 1 and 2, that's what I'm raving about. Thank you, Yusinda. That was great. So... Yeah. See? Yeah. 
you love new things. I do. I think so. I think that's true. We'll see if I can do that with superheroes, though. That'll be my challenge. Oh, you know what else we should do as a challenge, Graham? I, I was thinking of this. We should we should both write down before the episode what we think we're going to talk about. And then, like, just on a piece of paper. And then we'll each post that. We can post that to the show notes. Because I have to say, my list of what I was sure we were going to talk about in this episode was so off. It's not even funny. Oh, tell me. Tell me. Well, I, was, I wanted to talk about John Wick Chapter 2, which I just saw today and was fucking great. Oh, my God. I mean, if you're into that sort of thing, which I don't think you, Graham McMillan, are per se. I, I, haven't, I still haven't seen John Wick Chapter 1. Yeah. But I told you that I did the John Wick panel at New York Comic Con, John Wick 2 panel at New York Comic Con, and complete strangers were telling me to watch the film. Really? That's amazing. Yeah. 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 Because I was like, like, I've never seen John Wick. And people are like, oh man, this is the best fucking film. And sure enough, like, I saw the trailer for the second one and I was like, well, this looks amazing. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's shocking. It's shocking how good John Wick was. And then that John Wick 2 just impressively ups the ante, at least in the thing of if you like doing that thing, the thing that John Wick does, which I think you could be like, it's okay, I guess. Like, you're just, eh, I'm not sure that's necessarily your thing. But maybe not. I didn't think it would be Edie's thing. And, um, you know, the only, my only, our only regret about John Wick Chapter 2 is that we saw John Wick on my birthday and John Wick Chapter 2 opened on Edie's birthday. But because we were in New York, we weren't able to see it. So... That that's that's like my only negative is we weren't able to see it on bookending birthdays. But then John Wick Chapter Three might come out. Yeah, on one of your. Birthdays. I'm hoping it will come out on your yeah. birthday, and then that, and then I'll just <laughs> manage to sort of keep keep the site keep the chain. Okay, people. Yeah. Uh, October fifth in twenty nineteen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That gives you a while to make it. Yeah, exactly. Okay, whoever. Okay, whatever film studio makes John Wick. Get on that. <laughs> Schedule it now. Yeah, yeah. Seriously, the John John Wick Two: The Wickening was was quite good. I definitely for people who like that sort of thing, this is the sort of thing that you will like a lot. I'm just gonna sing us out now. I think we can't go anywhere from that. <laughs> Whatnots, ladies, gentlemen, people of anywhere on the gender spectrum. We love you very dearly for listening to this impressively all over the place episode. We'll be back next week. Bye! Aww. Well done. Well done, Grant.